Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the back of some sort of 70s fucking vehicle, I'm assuming. <laughs> Here, that's just what Phil said. What that I had was from underneath an elevated train track, which I kind of want to talk about. Interesting. Here in 2019, I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. I'm Phyllis Gove. And today we have with us Ben Acker. I'm Ben Acker. This is the sound of my voice. <laughs> ben Acker <laughs> is joining us for a movie called Payback. Yes, um, Ben, TV writer, sure, <laughs> has written TV, TV. comics, comics, uh, podcast, uh, <laughs> books, mm, sketch radio, sketch pretend radio, and actual radio sketch comedy, and some of these alone, some of these with your some writing of these partner, alone, some with a writing partner whose name rhymes with mine. His mm-hmm. name is Ben Blacker. You can find him on his own goddamn podcast. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Google it. So. I've never asked you this question before, but how – I bet somebody has. I'm sure. How, how annoying guys, oh, right. is it that your names are so similar? All the way. All the way. It's so annoying, annoying right? for you? No, it's fine. It's I mean, so like, charming on for the me. One hand, it's charming yes, for absolutely. a person that doesn't have to deal with it every day. I, I get it. Yeah. On the other hand, the novelty has worn off. Oh, on the gosh. other hand, anything you can use. <laughs> right, I'm going to keep going. Sorry. I, want, I, 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 I didn't mean I, to derail I, you. No, no, no. I want to go on the, the – I'm, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. So I just met Ben when he walked in the room, but I've been aware of you and your writing partner for years because your name is Ryan. Right. <laughs> so it works. It's good for the brand. It is good for the brand. <laughs> but I We had at one point a deal was pending and I think that the um, – that some office prankster stole the E off the computer, the type, uh, the keyboard of the computer yeah. of the lawyer of the business affairs guy, uh, because it took a long time. Sure, and uh, 
he managed this lawyer managed to like do the whole deal and then gets to our names and is uh-huh. like, I can't, there's two E's in each of them. Can we change it? <laughs> no, it's their branding. They're so it's their they're brand. known. They're known uh-huh. as cut all that out. <laughs> it's great. Loved it. How much double editing? it? How much editing? It's great. <laughs> uh, I have one more question. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that there's kind of a moment when you and Ben decided to become partners. Yeah. How long ago was that? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. And oh, wow. how did you guys know each other? Or College. Meet each other? You went to college together. Yeah, yeah. Imagine there's a moment like it would be like if you were a woman, an old-fashioned woman, who takes the name of Basically your husband, yeah. and uh, and it's, you're going to marry someone with kind of a, a like a weird last name, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, should I do this? Like, I know I love this person, but I don't want to be like a person with a weird last name. I'm not going to say any weird last names because I don't want to judge. Mm-hmm. But was there that moment where you guys were like, we're great, we're super compatible, we have the same sensibilities, but like our names aren't? No. <laughs> I wish I, we had – like I'm sure we thought oh, about it. But we had known each other for like almost four years before we started working together. So the novelty had at that point worn off and it was just like we are we are these guys. You're just buddies. Uh, yeah. And then we would have meetings in the early part of our non-career where it was like with those names, someone's going to hire you. And we were like, you could be that person. <laughs> we welcome you to prove that. <laughs> so you met him at uh, – you mentioned before you went to Syracuse. I did. I mentioned that off there. Oh, it's true. For you, that's what I we talked about for it you fans. Yeah, for the yeah. <laughs> in the first four relationships, deleted scenes. In the four, first four minutes of our relationship, you mentioned that the minute five through the rest has yeah. been on air. Yeah. Um, are you from New York? No. Where are you from? Outside DC, Washington DC. Sorry. Sure, of course. Yes. My parents are from New York, and my father went to Syracuse. Oh, cool. So, so those like, where are you in '99? In '99, I had just moved to Los Angeles. I was maybe a year <clears> in. Okay. All right. To LA. I saw – I don't know if, we're, if you're asking that question. I am. Sure. But I saw this movie in a double feature. Oh. And I don't know where. Like so I want to say some Deep Valley Mall, but I don't know why I would have gone to the Valley. Like an intentional double feature or you just intentional like double feature. Okay. No, it was, the, it was Idle Hands. Sure. Which we've done. Which we've done. <laughs> Idle and, Hands and Payback. It's an interesting yeah. double bill. I it's wanted to see movie. Idle Hands. My friend wanted to see Payback. Were yeah. you happy? I was happy. I Were they happy? They were happy. So that's why well, peanut yeah. butter and jelly. Payback was payback for making him see idle hands. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> I had to do I mean, some. I, I had to do some word math. I mean, I think that I that, that tracks. They're both. No, no, no. I'm wait, not sure wait, which wait, one's wait. Better here at the time. Payback was great. Right. You, you liked payback in '99. Yes. And in 2019, less so. Well, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. For okay. the yeah, for the obvious reason, it's not Mel good. Gibson. Oh. <laughs> the Mel Gibson of it all. Yes. Which we will talk about. I'm certain. Yes. How would you not? Oh, we're, <laughs> we need two to... hours of avoiding <laughs> avoiding Mel Gibson. Yeah, we've just done that with Kevin You know who's great? David Paymer. Let's get into it. You know, David Paymer, great filmography. He's got a lot of great performances. Did you see that David show, that Rod Laurie TV show he was on? No. Oh, man. What was it called? It was called Zach Commander in Chief with. Uh... No, it was called uh, Line of Fire. Not in the line of fire. Sure. Line of fire. Okay. Starring a young Anson Mount. Interesting. I'm looking this up right and, now. And uh, David Paymer was the crime boss of, I want to say, Richmond, Virginia. I love there it. Is. Look at this. Wow, you just know this really. I love when Paymer plays <clears throat> band. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it was, there was one all-time great TV episodes, like, in this series. So, it only had one season. It had a season and change. Like, it had a season and burnt off some episodes, and by the end... Like, it had 13 it so episodes, but it's in. possible that maybe, yeah, they, maybe broke they broke it up broke when it up. they. Yeah, this was a show I I truly didn't. It know. It was post 9 11. It was the premise was I think a Carradine, 
Wait, okay. No, no, no. She was in, she was in Leslie Bibb. Leslie Bibb's husband died in 9-11. Yes. And so she yes. joins the FBI. Yeah. And Anson Mount is an FBI guy undercover with the mob that Pamer's in charge uh-huh. of. And, and, and Pamer's a mob boss. Yeah. And there was one episode where she looks met, pretty good. Yeah, she met pretty Ever Carradine was a woman whose husband had disappeared in 9-11 too. And she was like on the case, whatever the case was. Uh-huh. Uh, and the, the case out, of figuring out who attacked us? <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, the verdict's still <laughs> verdict's still out. No, it She's was like it's an inside job. It was that it her was hu- it, it was that her husband had used nine eleven to fake his death and run away with another woman. Stop it. It was and but the thing is this, that there were a this handful, now feels less good. Did no, no, no. It, there were a handful were... of protagonists on this episode of this show yeah. where their dream came true yeah. and it was horrible. Like it was, I mean, like that's just good writing. Yeah, I love that. Did it? Pamer had that exact same arc in um, Get Shorty, where he f- that I don't oh. have uh, my finger. You have the obscure well, <laughs> Rod so, Lurie television program. They, in Get Shorty, Pamer is supposed to get on a flight. Yes. Flight crashes. He doesn't yes. get on the flight, and then he's he like free and clear from the mob. Surprisingly similar yeah. arc. That's yeah. Seth MacFarlane's story, right? It is Seth MacFarlane's story. He was supposed to get on a plane that crashed. He was mm-hmm. supposed to be in one of the nine eleven planes. One of those nine eleven. Well, wasn't Mark Wahlberg too? No, Mark he Wahlberg just said if I was on one, it. I would have yeah, stopped it. Seth MacFarlane was supposed to be on the one of the nine eleven plans. Yes. It's or crazy. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> well done. He was. It's crazy to me how um, there was really nobody famous on these tra- right. yeah. transatlantic flights. There was like one person who was kind of famous, Ted Olson's wife. I don't even know. Yeah, like, with David Angel, I think Ted one Olson. of the one of the Ted Olson, the sports guy, the former Solicitor General of the United States. Don't get me wrong; Same so job. far off. Yeah, and like, she, uh, I think she was a newscaster. I think she was like that was like the most. Well, there was a person. there was a there was a EP from Frasier. Oh wow! Right, yeah, there David was Angel. Yeah, David Angel. There was an EP from Frasier. Yeah. Oh, so it was a real tragedy. <laughs> we'll be right so back. <laughs> we'll be right back. Um, here's a question. How many credits? 11 question. No, we're moving past. I was supposed to be on this God flight. Damn it. Uh, uh, how many days, credits? Two days later. How many credits? I was on the flight from Boston. Well, how many credits? I, I don't understand this Seth MacFarlane thing. He was. A, he was. A, he, he had he, bought a ticket. He, he slept through yeah, it. He slept He's, through it. I think he, he, he partied the night before. Pu- I think. All right, whatever. He's. And you know what? In two two years later, that was after Family Guy. He was a real guy. Yes. It would, it would have been a real loss for humanity, kind of. How many credits do we think David Pamer Call in has? and let us know what you think. 153. Close. Uh, 154. 162. I would have gotten there. Here's my question. Who's your fav- what's your favorite David Pamer performance? Favorite David Pamer Favorite Pamer. Uh, would you read all of them, please? <laughs> I mean, he's really good in Get Shorty. Get Shorty was first that came to mind. He's also, he's, he's also really good in City Slickers. Is he... Oh, is he is he one of the other guys on the thing? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's like a Ben and Jerry's ice cream uh, guys, and he's one of those guys. It's <laughs> a good movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> what year did it come out? Are you guys gonna cover it? 91. No, I was like, oh, but what after 99? You're doing 91. Hey, anyone you, interested uh, in my city slicker story? You have yeah. a city slicker story? I yeah. My first kiss was during City Slickers. It's a great movie. Yeah, and when, you got kissed. Yeah, when when Billy Crystal was uh birthing the birthing the calf, it was too much. It you kissed like, her during the birthday? I don't know when it was. Yeah. Probably on some curly scene. But uh, but it was Academy my first, award it, was a, it was a camp. To you, that's I was, Curly's goal. That, 
It was at camp. It's and, a great movie. And we, we watch oh. movies at camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And that's where you have your first kisses that are social. And, uh, totally. and it just the time was right. What was her name? Her name was Juliet. How was she at kissing? Well, she was, you know, she was fine. She told my friends that I lapsed like a dog. Oh. I thank you for your sympathy. That's I appreciate shitty. that. Well, she was 13 too. Whatever. I'm not even going to say her last name because I don't want anyone But what to... was it? <laughs> it was, I mean, you I mean, guys. What is it now? You guys had first kisses, right? I had first kisses. My first kiss. I was awful. Yeah. I was terrible. I didn't know what I was well, I've doing. I was awful t- until two years ago. Really? What, happened what turned ago? around? <laughs> it's still awful. It's still awful. Still, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm sorry. I didn't know. It'd be great. Two years yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should take some lessons. But yes, I had my first sloppy where kiss. You, so, what's that? Where do you take those lessons? <laughs> Kissing booths all over this country. <laughs> it costs a dollar. Yeah, just little holes. They're just some. Oh, my God. Uh, kissing mm-hmm. the wrong things, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll so, be right back. Different kind of kissing. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, payback. Just edit all that out. No, no, no. no. We're doubling it. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm doubling um, so you saw Payback in 99 and have not seen it since, correct? No, that's not true at all. Oh, you've watched I've it? I've seen it a handful. I've, I've seen, I like that movie. I have seen it a handful of times until such time as you don't oh, want I to don't, see it anymore. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I actually I, I liked I don't it hate so the, much. Yeah, sorry, you no, were no, saying. No, you liked it so much? That I went out and uh, collected the book series that it was based see, on. See, I've heard the books are great. The Richard the Hunt are, books. No, the Richard Stark books. Who's the character name? Parker. Uh, Parker. Parker. Porter. Porter, Porter the in the movie. Porter. Parker in the book. Which I hate. But You don't like the name Porter? No. I don't think Porter denotes toughness. But I think Parker is pretty cool. All right. Parker's great. The author at the end of his career was uh, – his name was uh, Donald Westlake and he wrote these Parker novels. It's like a Jim Thompson type writer, under, well, right? No, no. That's the thing. Okay. okay. If you want to get into yeah, Westlake's no, no. a real guy. Donald yeah, Westlake's no, yeah, a real lot of guy. Stuff, and Donald yeah. Westlake wrote comedy crime stuff. In the 60s, there were all these – in America, there were all these um, scientific studies about stuff. Yeah. And one of them was uh, – the results of one was men like soft cover books and women like hardcover books, like fancy, fruity lady books. Okay. And men like grr, tough, dude, okay. like pulpy okay. stuff. So the publisher asked uh, Westlake, would you write like a gritty-ass crime book? Yeah. Not one of these comedy things that you do, but he's known for the hot rock. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, a, a Paul Newman or movie? the other one, movie. Okay. Um, who's the other one that isn't Paul Newman? Robert Redford. Robert. Um, anyway, he's known for like lighter fare and they were like, will you write this tough two-fisted kind of thing? And he admitted to doing like his cover of a Jim Thompson story where a guy's double-crossed by his gang and he goes and he kills – it's a gang and this one is just one dude. But he goes and he kills them one by one. And at the end, he gets his money back, but the police get him, and he's going to the chair, and he doesn't care. He doesn't regret a thing he's done because he got his revenge, and he got his money back, and he's a Jim Thompson son of a bitch. And the uh, the publisher or the editor or whoever said, yeah. this is good. Can you have him get away at the end and do more books? And he said, I will on the condition that Parker never get a kid or a dog. We never oh, soften the character. And he wrote a, a gang of these books and then took like – the late 70s through maybe 90 off from them. Uh-huh. And then when the movie was – I think it might be around when the movie was coming out, but mm-hmm. it might be before. I'm not sure of the exact timeline, but he, he wrote more until his death in the aughts. Okay. And he and this is all to say the name Parker. He was asked towards the end of his life, do you have any regrets like when you were baking this character in uh-huh. the start? And he said, if I knew I was going to still be writing him now, I never would have called him Parker because I spent too long of my life – 
coming up with better ways of saying Parker parked the car. That's inelegant. I had yeah. to go. Parker rolled to a stop. Parker pulled to the curb. Parker applied That's the brake. So fucking and it's funny. so granular that writery. That is so writery. I love it. That's so fucking funny. Yeah, I saw Westlake on a panel in the Festival of Books when I first came really? to LA, and it was a crime like hard boiled crime panel. Yeah, and he they were they introduced two people whose names I don't remember: George Pelicanos and um, Donald Westlake. And it was like, here's this person with like three books he's new. Yeah, here's this lady who's got fifteen books, and everybody who dies in them uh-huh. is named after someone who told her she couldn't write or broke up with her or whatever. Uh-huh. Here's this guy who's got a blue suit and a pink shirt who writes Miami Crime, and all of them get turned into movie miniseries, and he's written twenty five books. And then here's Donald Westlake who's written a hundred and fifty books, and then under the pseudonym Richard Stark, another thirty. And all Jesus and, and Pelicanos was like, I know we're here to answer questions from them but can i talk to him that's <laughs> great that's fantastic it was really, that is crazy it's good stuff you and know, so i hunted down these books because of this movie because of this movie that's cool they're great in the first or second one when he's getting back at the syndicate he sends a bunch of letters to other career criminals and there follows in this book i think three perfectly 10 page heists that are like they introduce the character the score the twist the getaway and they're they're just so elegant. Yeah, they're like precise. they're just so perfectly yeah. like that's they're all different. The series of books is great because it's never like an idiot screws up on the job. It's all like somebody's human flaws. Yeah, makes them overreach some other time. Like the the jobs I'll check out. And as I'm watching this movie, having now read all the books, I couldn't help but compare this Porter to the Parker that I'm kind of a I completist, but yeah. not like. Uh, obsessively so where I can tell you, oh, in this book, this happened. But in this movie, it was about how tough he was. And in the books, it was about what a professional he was. See, the thing that it's interesting, you saying all of that makes me wonder about how if this movie was made today. Mm -hmm. Which it was. It was made a couple years ago. This was? Yeah. What do you mean? It was um, (coughs) Parker. Yeah. They made a movie called Parker. It was um, Taylor Taylor Hackford. Oh, but there was also a Statham one. He started it. Taylor Mm -hmm. Hackford directed it. Uh, Statham started it with Jennifer Lopez. I don't remember this movie at all. I don't all. remember this movie at all. And that's – what's crazy to me is <clears throat> it sounds like what you're talking about is a perfect fucking franchise. Yeah. And it sounds to me like I imagine that if Jason Statham, Statham is brought into this, like they're thinking like maybe we could build a franchise out of this. I've never heard of this movie. They have made eight movies. Point Blank is the most famous. And we should talk about Point Blank. But they've made eight movies about the Parker character, not eight movies based eight on the – Eight of them. Not eight movies based on the Hunter. Right. But eight movies about the, the character. Parker character. And the thing about the Parker character was he – which is weird that in 2013 they made a Parker movie because he said unless you were willing to commit to making a franchise, you can't call him Parker. Huh. That's why he's called Porter. That's why he's called Walker in uh, Point Blank. They made a movie with Amazing. Jim Brown as him and he was called wow. McLean. That's cool. So um, – We sold a pitch to USA in the burn notice days that was – Parker gets a kid sidekick, a kid and a dog. A kid and a dog, not a, not a kid sidekick, but he has a kid. Oh my god, he's retired. They bought it. That worked. You've oh, seen you see, I think they it bought it week. because of the blacker and acker thing. But <laughs> well, it's, it's, I don't want to correct you on your own podcast, but it's acker and blacker. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's alphabetical. It's, well, it's the euphony of language. So what? All right. So <laughs> I just want to just a little more on the uh, the Parker thing. The first movie made off a Parker book was actually made by uh, Godard. Really? Made in, made in USA. Huh. Off a novel called The Jugger. I don't know if you know The Jugger. Is it a good yeah. one? I mean, 
that's the thing is as a non-obsessive completist, I can tell you it's a great one. I couldn't tell you <laughs> nothing happened. about it. The, the jugger, I think, is the safe cracker. Oh, yeah. So then uh, I'm going to I'm going to come back to Point Blank in a second, but then the, the Point Blank was made off the same source material. There was a song, a movie called uh, Mise en Sac, which was a French film. I guess the French had a little thing with this character. Um, the Split, which was the Jim Brown version, a movie called The Outfit in '73, starred Robert Duvall as Macklin. Oh, oh I've been hunting for um, that movie too. Slayground, yeah, starring Peter Coyote. I mean, these are okay, all starring. Now, Slayground is based on this insane, awesome book. The book is basically Slayground, uh, right? Slayground's yeah. the name of the book too. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh it's it's Home Alone. It's Parker like the robbery goes wrong on the way out, and Parker hops a fence to a closed carnival. And the people that are after the money, the cops, the corrupt cops and the criminals come into this closed winter time carnival and he's like just jury rigged all the traps it's he can so make. This is fucking amazing. All right. So this is – now there's I'm getting one upset. Called Kill, there's one called Kill Town that is like this town that is surrounded by mountains and stuff. So there's only one way in and one way out and they've got a lot of money. So his the gang comes in and robs it and has to get out on the one road out of town. It's so good. See, here's what's great about everything you're saying. You know and what's I think, happening I think, with me right now, right? I, I mean, I imagine you're frustrated because they're so good and the movies aren't great. Because if I want to actually enjoy this, I'm going to have to read novels. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I really – Slayground re- weighs like three pennies. I'm it's, getting these, I'm getting these books. They sound incredible. I hunted them all down on a site called Alibris, I want to say. That was okay. like a used book website. Yeah. I like found them. I found the like the junky old paperbacks. Yeah, as soon as I got the last one, they reissued all of them. Oh yeah, they're all out there. Well, what's, Isn't that the what's way, great everybody? about what you're like, just hearing these very sort of uh, short kind of logs that you're telling? It's just this guy was fucking amazing. Like he just Parker or the Westlake, West yeah. Like they both, just, I mean, they're both, they're both great. But <laughs> but there's something. <laughs> but there's something about just how clean those yeah. premises are that yeah. I'm just like, that's fucking great. Like, I know that's great, and I know it's executed perfectly, and it just goes to show that you don't need fucking bells and whistles. You don't need all sorts of convoluted, like... Just it's, an amusement park and some silly traps. But it's traps. also kind of why I think the end of the theatrical cut of this movie doesn't work. Yeah. I think, and, and all the junk that they tried to pack into it, mm-hmm. like, what was great about it was how clean it was. Mm-hmm. The director's cut of this is is a much simpler, it's sharper, it knows what it is. It's, I imagine, similar to the book, you know, where it's just not about creating all sorts of fucking nonsense. On It's this idea the studios think if it's more complicated, it's more enjoyable, which well, I don't necessarily think is the case. The, the theatrical cut moved better, though, didn't it? I mean... Not for me. I... He's nodding. I don't know. If he's just, he's just, I don't know. He's just <laughs> nodding. He might be listening to... Okay. But I... <laughs> But I think that – The nodding indicated to me agreement. I, I, I'm i from the South. I thought that the theatrical cut didn't start strong. I think the middle of the movie is pretty similar quite honestly. I don't mm-hmm. think they really drastically changed they much. They changed some of the pacing, some of the music. Yes. I just – I don't know. There was something about the cartoonish nature that the theatrical opens with. With the doctor and the mm-hmm. the bullet being taken and all that sort of stuff, it just it felt like it was trying too hard to be sort of gritty and cool. Mm-hmm. Whereas Helgeland's version of it, it's just a guy walking down the street and you're hearing you know echoes of the of the double cross and of, of sort of. See, and just, I felt like that was trying too hard. I felt you know, like okay, the 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 
the cross cut of the of the audio uh-huh. like didn't, yeah. it was it was film schooly well, like, I mean, it's possible it, that that I, wasn't his desire, I, and that I he pre- was sort of hemmed in. I when prefer he had... the film schooly thing. I hear what you're saying, but I prefer the film schooly uh, take on this movie as opposed to the kind of studio enforced kind of sheen. Was it studio? Yes. Yeah, like was I, both. I remember that I heard that Mel Gibson didn't. Like so it they, was both. They fired Helgeland off his own mm-hmm. movie. Yes, because. I think they thought it was too gritty. Yeah. I mean, specifically, it sounds like they fired him because of the the violence against women that was in this director's cut and not so prevalent in the other yeah, version. Um, and I think they thought that was too far. I think Helgeland's point was I bet they're embarrassed now. <laughs> I think Helgeland's point was uh, it plays real great today. It's in- it's interesting. No, it's just like about the guy. That I like, know. Yeah. I think uh, it's it's interesting. I think Helgeland's point was look, this guy's no angel. Yes, and I think the studio's point was, but let's make him an angel, you know. Which to yes. me, like, is the di- like you can't just kind of put this this wink and nod and and you know funny buttons on scenes yeah. and say this guy who does still hit women and is a murderer and is doing this all for seventy thousand um, dollars is actually like your fun punny yeah. action hero. When I've seen Point Blank, mm-hmm. I know what this character really is. This character, so I want to get back to Point Blank in that movie. What I was so like shocked by was how often Lee Marvin will just punch people in the dick. <laughs> right? Oh, His, he, he was famous uh, in life also in this just, movie. Oh, is that where you do that? The sound, the sound, which is punching someone in the nose and the dick, like just going all down. Seriously? Right? No. You <laughs> <laughs> are cartoons. <laughs> you don't make, you don't have a Damn nose flapping. I really them. wanted that in, to have be you true. Seen point, oh, have you seen Point Blank? I haven't seen Point Blank. He would Martin. catch, first of all, Lee Marvin is not Mel Gibson. Lee Marvin, even though he was only like in his 40s, looked like he was 65, <laughs> right? He was like basically Mark Landau in like Ed Wood, but also like Bella really – Also no, – no, not in Ed Wood. Like that age, right? Okay, when, okay. Like when he won his I'm Oscar, looking up Lee Marvin. Made of right granite. Now. Made of granite. Super tough, like just walked right off the fucking battlefield. But <laughs> this like guy's great. Hair, I love this guy already. Full this is your suit. first Lee Marvin? Yeah, I don't know. I don't great, know full Marvin. suit. And he would – like people would try to kick him and he'd grab him by the leg and then punch him in the dick. <laughs> and like – and I remember – and like the thing, <laughs> the thing was I was like, of course you punch him in the dick. You're trying to want to fight. Right. But that's this character. Like it was such grit. It, it was such like brute force trying to win the fight that he would just punch you in the dick. Um, and I don't want to – And if he grazed your balls – Fine, but he wasn't aiming for him. He was aiming for <laughs> your dick. He was trying to. <laughs> I mean, it looks it's, great. You know what a Newton's cradle is? It, it's not a great movie, in my opinion, point blank. But it is not like anything I mean, else. Yeah, yeah that's what he looks it's like. It's a great looking Johnny movie. Johnny Carson. He does look like Johnny Carson. Yeah, it, it, it's super weird. Like, it's super weird that this guy's the guy, but it's the same fucking premise. He's been double-crossed, left for dead, yep. and he's going to – he takes out a whole syndicate in that. <laughs> like, he just goes through that's the whole the first thing. two books. And then, and the end is the end of that movie is like, like when he's back in the like in the prison and their voices and I don't remember. It basically ends with I like watch it. It, it. it basically ends with like you not even know if it was a dream. Like you not oh, even wow. know. It was that time. Like it was very. If you've seen Time Pieces, no. the no. Jim Henson uh, short art film, no, it's the same like weird metronome rhythm yeah. happening throughout both and like the trippy. It's, it's very sixties. Like, That's it's, right. It's weirdly like. And I think that Payback has some of that vibe in it. Now, it does. I, I don't even want Payback to be made, frankly, but it reminds me a little bit of that. It reminds me of like French Connection, obviously. Yeah. Conversation. Well, like that. It, it, it has that very like sort Sidney of – Lumet films, like those those gritty, like urban, 
crying. Yeah, it's it's, it's grainy, gunmetal blue, yeah. monochromatic, very sort of like you know, no modern technology. It's the, all very the rotary sort of phone like, in the yeah. in the car. It's concrete jungle <laughs> stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like he it has smoked that a lot more in the director's cut. Right? He did smoke a lot more in the director's cut, which made it feel more. Timeless. And I, it's interesting because I liked because you mentioned to me we were texting a little bit about it, and you were like, "But it's not blue." Yeah, and I was like. I I do like the blue of the theatrical, but it's almost too much. Like it, it it's it, well, that's the vibe of the theatrical. Like yeah, the, the theatrical in being almost too much, and at times probably too much. Uh, it's too. Much. I think it gets. I think it gets. I think it gets away with more than I give the it, it's the director's take, cut. It's taking more swings, especially at the end. I I just I didn't. Neither I, of those endings really works. No, I agree with you. I agree with that. I would say that the, the the director's cut version worked better for me because, again, there was a cleanliness to it. I didn't need Chris Christopherson and his son Johnny, and I didn't need no. the boxing that match. Clumsy, and, I didn't need the, and her luring him into the yeah. – as a prostitute. Like none of the – I didn't need any of it. Right. I didn't need Mel him. Mel Gibson wanting to get tortured on screen again. Yeah. I didn't need like the explosion at the end. Yeah. Like the, he triggered a bomb. Like I didn't need any of that. It was all just like – unnecessary it also has a fucking joke that's fucking brutal where he so mel gibson is tortured and they they use a hammer on his feet Mm -hmm. and then she his girlfriend or whatever sees him she's like what's wrong he's like i got hammered yeah it's a bad joke it's a bad joke and it's emblematic of this (laughs) boil an egg boil an egg uh when he beats up val yeah uh, and Lucy Liu oh, is yes, like, yes, I yes. got, I got a couple of minutes left. Oh yeah, like, and he goes, boil an egg. That's great. Like, it's a good. That's it's a good. Sh- there's a lot. There's good shit in this. And Helgelin, by the way, and we should talk about him, sort of, uh, just in general. But L.A. Confidential is a great fucking movie. Oh, of course, like it's a great, great movie. And yeah. Helgelin has it in him to write great stuff. But then every now and then. Like I didn't love Forty Two. I thought it was kind of a shrug. The the Jackie Robinson movie that he did, it was fine. But like. A Knight's Tale is a kind of great movie, and it's mm-hmm. in a crazy, weird way. Mm-hmm. I assume this movie kind of broke him to some extent. I this imagine. experience, because yeah. I think that this is before. This was before. LA this is before. No, no, no. This, this is after LA He literally this was fired his, three days after winning his Oscar. This for is LA his ticket. Yeah. So, oh but, right, he directed this. He yes. directed this after as well as writing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I look at this like, to me, the director's ver- the director's cut is uh, very clearly a better movie. I also don't think that you can. You don't think so? I don't think so. Well, all right. Well, for me, it is. But it's but it's like it's splitting hairs. Like it's it's uh, preference stuff. Like I like the way that this rhythm goes. Yeah, this feels like. It's I think there's good faster. in both. I guess is what I would say. So I think the director's cut's a better movie, but okay. I but I would also say that I don't think as a studio I could justify releasing that film. That's for a very niche audience. Yeah. Um, for the amount of money they spent with this movie star they have. In the summer when they were trying to you know, make this one of their ten- temples. Yep. I understand the urge to ho- pull back on kind of the violence, to bring up kind of you know the the cheekiness of Mel Gibson's character, yeah. make it a little more you know yeah. you add the voiceover, make it a little more kind of digestible for more of a mass audience, make it a little capery, a little more yep. capery, a little more you know. That's the thing in this movie. Like I'm watching with the lens of of the books, going like that's not like. Too many people know his name. Like that's not a thing. Like mm-hmm. all the the caper stuff. There's just he's out in the open. Like it's the book is all shrewd crime stuff. Like you don't get in this 
just by clumsy accidental, but I mean, it's a different beast. That's true. They're for, all in this one city and it's been that forever. And he has this history there and it's all that. That's true I, for but, point blank too. But yeah. point blank, it seems like it's a lot, lot closer to the books. Probably. Like it's like this guy kind of just operates in the shadows and it's almost like they're being killed by 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 first of all killed because they'll like literally stab you like in yep. your upper thigh and let you bleed out like that movie's wild, mm-hmm. but <laughs> they're like he's being they're, they're like they're being killed by a, by a, a ghost mm-hmm. you know and he's kind of dressed in that white suit or that light suit. And- Can I ask a question though? I mean, it, and, and I, I maybe I've posed this a couple times on this podcast, but I, I, I it never ceases to amaze me how. You know, you, you read a script, you're a studio executive, you, you buy a script, you read a script, you say, yes, we should shoot this script. You, you watch all the various dailies of said script. Mm-hmm. And, and then when it, um, it lands, you, you say, well, we can't, we can't do this. Obviously, this is, this is obviously, this is unfilmable. Obviously, yeah. we can't release this like this. It's like, wait a second. What the fuck are you surprised about? You like, put I feel good behind every scene of this movie. How are people going to know to I, feel good? It's just – it's really bizarre to me. And and I think that Mel Gibson definitely plays into this. I think that Mel most likely probably saw a cut of this and was like, I'm too unlikable. This doesn't – this isn't working. But I also I don't think, know if that's true. <clears throat> I really don't. I, I don't I don't know. I'm speculating. Mel – Mel – my good friend Mel. Yeah. We'll get into Mel in a sec. But yeah. Mel was on the director's – on the commentary track for the director's cut. Oh, wow. And he didn't endorse it. He prefers the other version, but he said this is a totally valid version. Like, oh, I, I didn't know that. Okay. I don't think he – like I do think that, that he's very brand conscious and he probably preferred the other yeah. version for his brand at the time. Yeah. But um, – He was a big proponent of of letting Helgeland make his director's cut. I think cut. so. I, think, I know that because yes. I did read that on How did the director's cut come out? Like, it was it... released, I believe, at Austin. There was an Austin film yes. festival where like it screened later. down there in yeah. 2007, 2008. 06 is when. <clears throat> something like that. Went, yeah. like, it was all color corrected and like mm-hmm. all that stuff yeah. before and then just put a pin in it, re-edit, put it out. Par- I think there was some Paramount stuff. Paramount was on yeah. board with, with putting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is and, interesting. Like this movie comes out in 99. It's, it's marginally successful. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah. But it's like – what lit a fire under Paramount to like let – unless this was just Helgeland being you know, persistent. But like what made them want to like reappraise this movie is interesting. I don't know the answer. But it's like, OK. I mean it's great that they did it, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it's odd. For sure. Because it's it, – it didn't, it didn't it get a theatrical release. It does. It does. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting. So I'm going to do a synopsis just real quick uh, for people who haven't seen Paybacks. Um Porter, played by Mal Gibson, is a thief betrayed by both his wife, Lynn, played by Deborah, Deborah Kerr Unger, and his partner, Val, played by Greg Henry, when he's shot in the back after a heist. Slowly, Porter recovers from his wounds and begins to search for Val, intent on recovering his share of the money they stole together. With the aid of a prostitute, Rosie, played by Maria Bello, Porter captures Val but, can still, uh, but still cannot find his cash. For this, Porter will have to challenge an opposing crime syndicate called The Outfit. Uh, payback opened on February 5th, 1999, in first place with $21.2 million and would go on to make... $161 million on a $90 million budget. That's a lot of money. $90 million in 1999 is a lot. It's too much to put out the woman-beating version. Yeah. Uh, payback has 54% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 69 from audiences. Um, Ebert liked this movie. Gave it three stars. Said Brian Helgeland has a sense of style, too. He co-wrote Ali Confidential. And we get the sense that Payback is more interested in style than story. It wants to take a criminal's revenge and make it more the story of a guy whose mission edges on monomania. There's much cleverness and ingenuity in Payback, but Mel Gibson is the key. The movie wouldn't work without an actor who's heavy set on his feet. 
uh, or too sincere about the material. Gibson is essentially an action comedian who enters into violence with a bemused detachment, which I think is probably a good way of describing sure. Mel Gibson in general. Yeah, that's what you... An action first. comedian. Yeah, no, I would, I would say uh, <laughs> who enters into violence with a bemused who, detachment feels Who would you right. say is our preeminent action comedian? Oh, it was Bruce Campbell for a minute. That's, that's yeah. interesting. That's, 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 that's the right answer. Kurt okay. Russell. Great also, action comedian. Is it is it Chris Pratt? Is it oh, no, one of those yeah, guys? Totally Pratt. Chris Pratt these days? Probably. He's a good action comedian. I mean, I, 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 action comedians. I throw, throw one out for The Rock, but you know that's yeah, just the Rock. Me. The Rock's a good one. Is he? Jason Statham. Has he done anything funny? The Rock. Like, oh, the question is actually funny, or is it trying to be funny? Right. Well, I'm asking you the question. I'm saying actually well, I, funny. I, I came from the whole other side. Where I was like, has he done anything funny? Has he so done your question funny? of has he done anything funny? Uh, I'm on the side of no. Jumanji Two is a tremendous movie. That's what I hear. <laughs> it's, it's made him cry. It's a tremendous movie. Yeah. It's so funny. It made you cry. No, it's so good at the end. It's like it turns into the Breakfast Club at the end. I can't explain how good this movie is. I need to watch. I still have it on it my is, DVR. I, it, is the, it. it is the Breakfast Club meets Jumanji 1. Not it's not anything like Jumanji 1. It's For like your the page, Breakfast Club Patreon subscribers, meets... do you do screenings? Will we all get together we and watch it Patreon? with the things? We should do a Patreon. It's, it really is like the, the Breakfast Club meets Tropic Thunder, kind of. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's probably the closest. <laughs> I don't like those two movies. You don't like Breakfast Club? You don't like Club? one of those movies? No. I saw Breakfast Club too late, and it felt uh, like a um, like well, a book of drama monologues that all like all the pages got mixed together. Uh, all right, all right, all right. And, it's good. Uh, I recognize that it's good. And Tropic Thunder, no, no, not in it. Not in it. Tell me why. Uh, it lost me from Hello. I, I, it's too um, winky for me. Like it's too mm. like. What if we were doing this stuff? Well, it's funny because we know? just we just did an episode on um, Heat Vision and Jack, which I love. Which is interesting because we talked oh, a little we, bit about we, it. We could have had you come earlier. Yeah, you, you, you could have talked about that with us too. But it, we I'll talked to sort of, myself in. <laughs> that'd be <laughs> amazing. Well, I agree with this. I don't agree with that. Thank you for caring what I agree with. <laughs> but it, it's interesting how like I don't love broad Ben Stiller particularly. No, no. permanent midnight Ben Stiller is the best Ben Stiller. We, we, yeah. we, grounded Ben Stiller is, or even just like nebbishy Ben Stiller. Permanent is, midnight is, is the is the. Uh, is the detective it's the Alf one? Oh, Alf. That's what, all right. So Zero Effect is the other one. <laughs> Zero Effect is that Permanent the, Midnight's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Permanent Midnight, but there are other ones. I mean, we were saying the like, even movie, like yeah. uh, well, I mean, I I like there's something about Mary. I think he's good Mary, in that. I think he's meet the parents. Meet the parents. Um, you reality don't feel bites. That, you don't like any of these? Um, no, not really. And um, how do you feel about movies in general? I'll tell you this. Well, <laughs> mostly they're not. It's kind, of, um, it's kind of on the fence. I'll tell you this. Uh, Real Ten Bomb is my least favorite Wes Anderson because Ben oh, Stiller my favorite is all, Wes Anderson. all Ben Stillery in it. I don't think he's that Ben Stillery in it. Right out of it. All right, I agree with both of you. Uh, <laughs> it's very diplomatic. You're, no, you're like a Solomon who keeps the baby <laughs> together. <laughs> it's my favorite Wes Anderson. And one of my favorite all-time movies. Yeah. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I feel like Ben Stiller's in a different movie. He is in a different movie. Yeah. Uh, there's – you do wish that, that – He's he not going to hear this, is he? he might, well, whatever. Highly He's not going to hire me anyway. You do wish that Wes Anderson got to sit on <laughs> him a little bit me. more. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm worried about you like a eight. I'm worried yeah. about me like a nine. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's close. You were, you <laughs> so neck about, and neck. You were saying about Ben Stiller. I, I would say that I do wish that, that Wes like was able to guy. sit on Ben Stiller a little bit more. Mm-hmm. In But he's only got a couple flare-ups for the most part. I don't know. He's, he is good in it. I do think – yeah. Um, so film school <laughs> – What are you saying? What just happened? <laughs> film school rejects had an interesting point about uh, – all this about No, we're not, we're not editing anything. We're tripling it up. No, <laughs> tripling we're, we're, it up. Quadrupling it. That's yeah. too much. <laughs> 
can never have too much. Uh, Film School Rejects said um, about they, – they compared the two cuts. And this is something that I, that I do think is interesting. They said the plot remains mostly intact, but in an attempt to make an accessible film, Paramount and Gibson made a much more distancing story. Weirdly, despite not killing a dog in this cut or Porter punching his ex-wife, the character is more unlikable and not in a good way. This version never commits to the seediness of his journey or the world he inhabits. In an attempt to soften the character, they only made Porter's story more muddled. And I think there's – How think is there's it muddled? Just, I think there's something it's to the real clear. Hey, these it's, are film school rejects, all oh, right? Don't go too hard. Accurate, accurate. That, but I, I think truthfully that the end of the movie is a fucking messery in the theatrical cut. Yeah. I think it's much more muddled. That's the point they're trying to make. All right. They're saying that the theatrical cut makes things makes him less likable because the arc he is all fucked. A in the end. Yeah, he's just like, who is this person? He's not like he's not likable in either one. I and right. I, I I think, but they tried to the make theatrical the, movie yeah. is trying to make this. <laughs> Piece of shit likable, and I think that's the only issue. I think I, I, I felt like as yeah. I was watching it, as I was watching the both of the openings, that the theatrical cut let you decide he was unlikable, and the the director's cut had like literally the line like, "Hey, you shit. jerk!" Yeah. But I liked his I liked yeah. his just ripping off the homeless guy. I like that in, yeah. in the in the director's cut more than because it was quippier in the. Yes. But there are the scene where he finds the guy who sends him to Rosie. Uh huh. Like in the director's cut, he's just he knows that guy. He talks to that guy. He sends him on. You don't need that guy. Yep. In the in the theatrical cut, he has a great scene with an old like just old old drunk lady. Yeah. Where he like pays her a little bit to get the information to go to that guy to get to like it felt like everything was just a little more justified. In the theatrical. theatrical. Until the end. I'm not arguing for the end. I'm yeah, saying like I mean, the journey through. I, but what I liked in both is that like clearly Val has a relationship with uh, Lucy Liu. Yeah. That led them to rob the the gang that they robbed. Yeah. And we know what the relationship looks like. But we don't know like why he robbed them, how he robbed them. She was in on it. She wasn't in on it. Yeah. There's a whole Lucy heist Liu. that we don't get to – to know about that's such a that feels so rich to me. I, I agree with that. I, I mean, Lucy Liu has two endings. I don't know how want to get into this. She has two endings, yeah. hubba, hubba. and both of them suck. That's from the movie. Hubba, 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 hubba. hubba. Yes. Yeah. There's two endings. There's I'm one a creep about Lucy. where, where direct, in the director's cut, uh, Porter just walks away. Yeah. And that she's was like, good. And, and it's better than the other one where she gets punched in the face yeah. by some rando thug, uh-huh. some hooligan, and then like licks the blood off of her finger. Yeah, they and, like, were really not clear story. on what what the the power <laughs> dynamics of that kind of play are. Oh, I see. Yeah, that the, the whole Lucy Liu it's, thing. It's not great. She works her ass off, but the whole she does. the whole Lucy Liu thing is crazy. Um, Crazier cause... than play it by, play it to the bone. Because oh shoot, also equally over sexualized. A lot of violence in both of those movies. I don't know what it is about her that, and Tarantino does it with her too. Like there's something very icky about the way that Hollywood perceives her her sexually. Like sexual violence is like yes, Southland, Uh, the show. Yeah, she was in that. She was great in that. She she was real low key. Like that whole show was low key. Yeah, and she had my favorite comedic moment in this non-comedic show uh she's a uniform cop the show's about uniform cops yeah it's, uh, it's so ben, ben mckenzie yeah yeah um and john wells did yeah. it uh she and 
the dude who played Babe in uh, Band of Brothers. Okay. Are riding through this neighborhood, and there's a naked jogger, uh-huh. like just a dude jogging naked, uh-huh. and and they pull over, and she tells him like, "You can't do that here. You have to go on the highway and jog on the shoulder." And her partner's like, "What? It's just as legal on the highway." And she goes, yeah, but now it's Chip's problem. And, <laughs> and this food truck I want to get to, that's if, amazing. We, if we don't get there soon, it's going to be a line. And, like, it's so dry and that's, it's so, like, that's thrown fantastic. away. That's fantastic. That's great. It's a great show. That's she was, good. again, not this is funny, but Allie McBeal. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. She's really great on Allie McBeal, but, again, has a similar dynamic of this sort of dominatrixy kind of sex and violence blurriness that I don't understand. She has like the world's sweetest face. Why do people think she should be we should kicking be, the shit out of people? Bo- both ways. Yeah. Like why did people think that they should be fucking her up or she should be fucking people up? I don't get it. That, isn't it racism? It's, I don't know what else it could be. It's, it's if it's not racism, it's nationalism. Yeah, there's it's definitely something's it's up. It's definitely wrong and it's prejudice. weird. The, I mean, she's probably the most prominent Asian American actress up there ever there are a few asian actresses like michelle yao but she's not american like i mean lucy Liu has had a enormous career she's been on several television shows she's but my point is hollywood looks at this person who has risen to movie stardom a television stardom a charlie's damn angel a charlie's damn angel (laughs) star of sherlock you know Turn, you know, made the, the Futurama, role. a head on Futurama. She was Futurama. She, she was oh, a it was head. a great episode. She, her head was in the jars like they did on Futurama. Yeah. And I Name think dropped she, in, a, in an outcast song. I think she and, fell in yeah. love with Bender. I think and, it was a thing. And yet they keep, and yet they keep casting her in these. I don't know. In these geisha warrior roles. Yep. Like that's so weird to me. It's it is very strange what, when she sh- when she showed up in this I was like oh right I forgot she was in this and With then we had done play it to the bone you yeah know. Lucy Alexis mm-hmm. yeah that's how you know how early it was mm-hmm. <coughs> and I was like oh right she was in play it to the bone she's in this this is very strange is and then like she was on ER she had an arc on ER where she had a little boy um, she had AIDS and she gave it to her to her son gross and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. I mean, no judgment, but some judgment. If you guys could have seen Ben's face as well, he made such a stink face as he said gross, it was fantastic. Uh, It, it, (laughs) but she was so, she was so good, and it was just very, very subtle, dramatic, you know, uh, soft spoken performance, and. It's like I don't I don't understand how I don't know the career that that kind of unfurled in front of her was was this but this is where we're at. I also would would also say that like let's get her on the show. Love to get her yeah, on the we'll show. Do her best. <laughs> that did that did that was a that was a less than full throated. <laughs> that implies that your we'll best, best is the worst. Yeah, your yeah. best is nothing. Let's I'm, do our best. We we uh we. we <laughs> We can't even get like like low level Twitter personalities to come on the you show. Can't get blacker on the show. We had to settle for hacker. So like, <laughs> it's true. I mean, get but Lucy I mean, Liu, the most prominent Asian American actress of all time. <laughs> I'm not even the most prominent Ben. <laughs> my writing team. Oh my god! Uh, but it is. It is just. 
I felt like the role is is just not well written in this. I just didn't sure, get it. Not the well scene, conceived. it's not well conceived. The scene when he finds her and Val together, and like they're just throwing punches back and forth. It felt what? like cartoonish. Don't weird. understand that. So wait, wait. Part of their their part of what they enjoy sexually, yeah, is sexual violence. All right, teach their own. But then it is a. <laughs> but then it when Mel Gibson shows up, Val's punishment yeah. is sexual violence. Uh-huh. What's going on? She's there? line crossing. I mean, I, there's boundaries, and she's. You think like, you're not supposed to put the handcuffs well, on and punch somebody in the nose? Why? But, but yeah, that doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. But, why, but like, why, so why is she doing so it? Is punching him on the phone fu- with the phone. Why is she doing punching it? With I the don't phone. get it. Like, like, why is she then doing Mel Gibson's bidding for him? Just because it's sexy for the audience, I think. I think she doesn't like him. They're caring and don't like him. It's yeah. a business transaction. And she gets to cross a line. That's the impression that I got. Was because he hits her with the phone. Oh no, he's fucked up. Right. I just don't. I I hated Val. I thought that was a. I thought that was that character was. I liked the performance. Oh, I didn't. No, I didn't love the performance, but I actually didn't mind the character in a weird way. I liked the fact that he was, was. To me, it was the performance. It, that that and I and so there's a point in the film, obviously, where he he finds Val right and he kills him. But that scene is done in such a way that I loved and hated it. And it 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 had this push and pull of. I wasn't sure where it was going. It had an element of tension and suspense baked into it a little bit because you're like, he's obviously going to kill this guy, right? Or is he? Mm -hmm. The smarminess of him, the sort of – that he's just a low – he's not even a number – he's not the boss. He's just some fucking guy. There was a moment in the the director's cut Mm -hmm. where Mel Gibson – no, where Porter goes into the the, uh, outfit place. Yes. And um, one of the guards who's not in the – Theatrical cut, I think, says, uh-huh. you killed uh, Val. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah. And the guard goes, thanks. <laughs> and it was so good. Like, it was such a, like, yeah, nobody likes this guy. He's just, he, I, I um, liked that about him. I'm going to throw something something out. Okay. Fun thing to talk about. Okay. Uh, in movies from <laughs> I'm the. having fun. <laughs> it is a good one. Uh, this is really, this is really some, some, some okay. heavy stuff I'm about to throw out. I'm a little nervous about doing it, but it's definitely there. In a few movies from the 60s and 70s, they would denote uh, – I don't know what, what, what they've correct. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, all right. oh, they boy. would denote a lack of masculinity okay. sometimes mm-hmm. through dress. For instance, in The Manchurian Candidate, the there's a character who goes to sleep in his wife's uh, robe. Okay. Right, and she and he gets killed, and it's supposed to show that he's effeminate. In taking of the Pelham one two three, the mayor is always laying in his bed, sick in his robe, mm-hmm. in his kind of effeminate robe, right? And it's to denote a, a kind of lack of masculinity. Um, Val walks around in a effeminate robe a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and his name is Val too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's short for. I do know people who normally have that name are women. Except I for Kilmer. And Luton, except for Kilmer and Luton, <laughs> I think that there is. I think is that there is name in the movie some. And on top of that, Val is getting dominated by a woman. Mm-hmm. I think that there is some kind of weird, latent, Subtextual. psychosexual commentary about masculinity versus femininity within these two characters, and I, I actually think it's kind of insidious. Um, anyone have any thoughts? I, I mean, I will say that I did not think of that. 
but as you lay it out, it doesn't seem completely impossible. It's insidious in the other movies I'm talking about. Yeah, like in yeah. Taking to the Pelham, yeah. it's insidious. The way they treat the mayor, they basically say this guy is ineffectual because he is right. effeminate. Right. Right. And he's he's one of the least effective characters right. you'll ever see in a movie. His right. fucking city's on fire and he's in bed with the, with the sniffles. Right? Okay. Um, I think that, that 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 there's something going on. He here. has a performative masculinity to him, like that's his Val thing. Does. Like Val does. Yeah, Val I think is, so like, too. Punching people, uh, he's that yeah. type of aggression thing. I think like, so too. He, he he also stole Mel Gibson's wife without actually, you know, yeah. doing anything to steal her. Without yeah, there's. I mean, I, I like I said, as you as you sort of laid it out, it does seem like there's something there. Like there's there's certain where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't I don't necessarily know what. The intent well, was, but I do sense let's, that something. Let's one of his outfits struck me as like completely different from the whole rest of the vibe of the movie. He wears a suit jacket over a t-shirt. Yes, yeah. yeah. His whole like, thing does. Yeah. yeah. Well, like his whole thing, I buy like the timelessness of like the robe looks mm-hmm. like it works with that aesthetic. But like that, the fashion choice of a t-shirt and a and a suit coat was very like specific, very specific, very eighties or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Not very. Yeah. So I want to also use this as an opportunity. The other reason I, I think this is plausible is because of who started this movie. Yeah. So we should talk about this, you know, anti-Semitic, uh, Republican, NRA sporting asshole yeah, yeah. who also occasionally makes brilliant films. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I, I mean, I think so. I will say this. I, I think I'm, he's made at least two really great. Films. And when you say directing, or are yes, you saying directing. acting? I mean. So let's talk about him just very briefly as a director because he doesn't have as many films to talk about in that capacity. I'm not – What did he direct? He did The Man Without a Face, Braveheart, Passion of the Christ, Apocalypto, Hacksaw Ridge. I haven't seen Plus he oh, is now filming – You've never seen Braveheart? Not that you have to. Just that no, like, I'm not like an Oscar bait guy. Oh, no. Uh, okay. Or an Oscar guy. Not, like, that not, you, not that you have to. Just that like you almost, you almost stumble on that, stumble upon that. Right. Movie. Sure. Yeah. No, I know Hold. Right, he just hold. Like, <laughs> the, but I saw oh, Rob Roy. I've never seen that. Interesting oh, that that's huh? the one you saw. Yeah, yeah. Was that the same year? It was, it was close. close yeah. Um. So he also apparently is filming Passion of the Christ: Colon Resurrection, which a prequel. Uh, I was. Gonna, I thought that was <laughs> no, that, no, that's, no. that's like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> that's what it says. Uh, I'm uh, into that. And he's doing a Wild Bunch fucking remake as we speak. Um. Gross. I, yeah, which speaks to his toxic masculinity. Yes. So I, I'm going to say that as a as a director, he's the last fucking person in the world I'd want to do a Wild Bunch remake. I agree. In the fucking universe, who's the first? Who's the first? I vote Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia no, Coppola. Coen Brothers. I mean, like Coen Brothers make a great Wild yeah, Bunch. Yeah, yeah. As long as it's still men, it should be a female uh, director. Sure. Um, Catherine Bigelow. And it Wild be, Bunch. Yes, it should be. It, and it should be men because it's about toxic masculinity. It's the last thing you should like yeah. gender flip. Yeah. But um, the last person I want is the kind of guy who buys into this whole men should be men shit. Yeah, I agree. You know, not that Peckinpah did. Peckinpah, right. Peckinpah clearly, you know, undercuts this too. Sure. Like if you've ever seen fucking Straw Dogs. It's fucking crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> and he's not endorsing rape like some sickos think he is. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, so as a, as a <laughs> film – Peckinpah minute. As, <laughs> as a filmmaker, I don't love him. I, I understand why people like Braveheart. I like it fine. I don't love it. Some people love it. Be that as it may. Never saw Passion of the Christ. Don't have any interest. Man Without a Face, it was fine. Uh, Apocalypto, never saw it. Really good. I've heard Apocalypto is quite good. That's the second good movie. Um, and you like Hacksaw Ridge? No, Braveheart's Braver. a great movie. So as an actor, I don't understand the notion of not liking Braveheart. I think like 
in terms I just say of, I don't like it. Yeah, in terms of like these epic movies, it. so hard to do, so hard to keep your mm-hmm. attention for three hours like that. I think it's an incredible movie. But I would say, and I know that you're not an Oscar guy, but it's probably number four on my on those nominees of that year built, for me. It beat Il Postino. Yeah. So Brave is a better movie. I mean, Babe is a better movie. I agree. Sense Sensibility is a better movie, and Apollo 13 is a better movie. Those are all better movies. Than but those are good movies. Babe's great. Those are good movies, though. That that doesn't that doesn't speak that ill of it. I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm speaking just to the I, fact yeah. that I like those films better. Have yeah. I told you my Oscar pitch? No. Brackets take Oscar winners and pit them against each other for a Super Oscars. Like of all time, mm-hmm. what do you think would win? Oh, oh boy, Titanic. Probably. That's what I think should win. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it That's, should. No, he said <laughs> probably. <laughs> no, I know. But to me, the Super Oscar is Titanic. There's no question. It's the biggest movie of all time. How could you not give it to The biggest boat. So it's gonna Titanic is the answer. How could, how could Titanic fail? <laughs> if, it's, <laughs> if it's not Titanic, your super your Oscar pitch just failed. <laughs> what beats Titanic? Come with the wind. I mean, maybe no. So as an as an actor, <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer win. <laughs> the artist in an upset. In an upset. It's the last emperor. <laughs> so as an actor, which is what most people know Mel Gibson for, as opposed to directing, well, not anymore. Uh, well, that and and you know anti-Semitism <laughs> and beating women. But I, I will say that I don't really watch his movies anymore nope. as an actor because, in general, I can't really as him as an actor or as you as an actor. Him as an actor, <laughs> I don't watch the movies he stars in anymore uh-huh. um, because I just don't really like it anymore. Right. But Lethal Weapon is a perfect fucking movie, and I love it, and I still watch it. Pretty frequently. So that's the one sort of exception mm-hmm. for me and him. I, had what this, that's I was thinking about this kind of thing recently because yeah. he's he, – people are – are can separate the art from the artist and – Right. And arguably should but probably shouldn't. Uh, and that's I was hard. thinking about how much I like crimes and misdemeanors. I know. And I realized that I liked crimes and misdemeanors and I don't need to see it again. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen it. And it occupies a place in the history of movies that I've watched. And this this felt that way too. Like I liked it. I don't I don't particularly like any this was an interesting You're viewing. Talking about payback. Payback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is an interesting viewing because I was constantly aware of this guy on screen. I don't agree with him and I don't, I don't like I don't him. Like him. Uh, he's by being in this movie that I like, he is fucking up this movie that I like. Um which is a weird like dissonance to watch a movie with. Well, it's 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 interesting because I think that you know, and 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 we um we recently just did Sweet and Lowdown, so we we had our our Woody conversation, sure. um to a certain degree, and I think there's something interesting to because Woody Allen's not in a lot of his own movies, right? It's easier to forget to a certain degree. There are plenty of Woody Allen movies he's not in, right? But there are also plenty that he is in. Yes, and there are. And there my are, favorite Woody Allen movies, he's is in. probably he's in. Although my favorite, he isn't. But what's your favorite? Both, both are Broadway. Oh uh, well, my favorite five, I think he, I would say he's he probably in yeah. the other four. But my point is that it's harder with actors because they're the face of the thing. Like I can't. It and and Lethal Weapon is a is a rare example when I do watch it where I'm just like I just I really love this movie so I'm just gonna I'm gonna turn that part of my brain off and just enjoy this film for what it is. Much harder to do with an actor than it is with a director. Um, but it's yeah, it's just watching this film. I did find myself thinking that he has this roguish charm about him that I understand why he became the actor that he became and I understand why he was as successful as he was. But 
it's just gross now. Mm-hmm. You know, like watching him beat up Deborah Karanger in that in uh, in her kitchen mm-hmm. was just brutal to watch through the lens of 2019. It's brutal, period. It, it, and and it's supposed to be mm-hmm. like it's supposed to elicit that reaction from you. But now it obviously has a whole new layer to it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I he's it's it's a it's he's he's problematic now. Obviously. You know, I we, so we're both big fans of the Blank Check podcast, and you know they talked about him in uh, What Women Want relatively recently, mm-hmm. um, and that was sort of this attempt to try to like make him into a rom com star, and that movie was very successful, and and he had sort of a whole new, you know, stage of his career, I guess you would say. I mean, he does What Women Want, he does We Were Soldiers, Signs, which was obviously very big, and then you know the shit hits the fan for him because I think. The whole thing happened in 2005, I think, is when he gets pulled over in Malibu. Yeah, I, I, happens? I'm looking that up right now. So it's like, it's, it's. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I don't know, but then like I got Jodie Foster telling me that he's a really good guy and I'm I just like know. you know, you don't know. I I know. You know, you know, you do you know. You feel bad about liking Lethal Weapon, right? I do. You should. I do. You don't need to watch it anymore. But but I like it. Yeah, but you liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like to what end are you watching? I like know. it feels I, like you're saying something by watching it on purpose. I I but, can't make the pledge. I can't I can't take yeah. the pledge uh that I won't watch anything by problematic, by or with problematic people. But you're not seeking it out. I you're feel not you interested I, in it. Like it's I, I right. To- I'm not saying I, I totally to like. But things happen, right? So I'll, I'll, give, I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm like there are a bunch of people like I absolutely love the show Louis, and I'm never going to watch it again. Right. Yeah. Um, I absolutely love a lot of Woody Allen movies. I probably will never put one on again on purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, we did like Sweden Lowdown, but like that stuff, like I absolutely, there are a lot of things, like, like a lot of people pretend like I never liked Woody. I never liked Louie. Fuck that shit. I think they're both brilliant and yep. really fucked up people. Um, but one that's kind of messing with me a little bit is, uh, is Ryan Adams because mm-hmm. like that actually, like his music actually, in a way I, I, I do feel like I, it, it was so important to me at a certain time in my life. And I do feel like. I need it in a way. Mm-hmm. So like not listening to Ryan Adams in moments when I used to listen to Ryan Adams has been hard, weirdly, right? And I'm not going to take that pledge that like if like hypothetically um, I, like like a movie that I absolutely adore, like say like, you know, 
if a I mean, what's a good example? But like, if something bad comes out, for for instance, like, what if William H Macy gets implicated in this fucking <laughs> uh, Felicity Hoffman thing? Won't be able to watch Happy Texas again. Well, no, no, seriously, well, let's let's. That's a whole different. Okay, but I'm, I mean, that's a different level of like that guy bribed people. Let's say William, let's like, say William H Macy. Oh no. Let's say something bad happens. With William William H Macy. Okay. All right. Uh, am I going to commit to never watch my Man. favorite fucking movie Fargo again? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Or Magnolia. Or, Ma- or Magnolia. Maybe. I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, isn't that what? Like, isn't that what growing is? Like that you go, yeah, I. I you can contain multitudes by being able to uh, differentiate the art from the artist, right? But you can also go. What do I get out of seeing another time? Well, I'm, I'm gonna. It's interesting you say that because, like, I, I uh, it's hard to say. I had a conversation with my roommate Melissa about uh, Tarantino. I don't know, probably around the time that the, that's, that's that a whole good thing, example that the whole thing came out, uh, the whole Uma Thurman and what have you. And I said to her, you know, it's just it's it's. I just I, I love some of his movies. Like I really do love them, and I want to be able to watch them again. And she was like, "There are other movies," mm-hmm. and I was like. Yeah, no, I can't dispute that. I can't dispute that there's other movies out there that I could be watching that I haven't ever seen before, or any number of things, other things I should be potentially that, doing. That's not the metric necessarily. The metric is yeah. what movie do I want to throw on and not think about anything else. Yeah. But also, like, an ingredient in you as a person yeah. walking through the world right now no, I is I know this thing about this person and it puts me off. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not about closing the door to ever do or making a policy. It's about, like, now you have one more piece of information. That is going to temper your judgment, whether it uh, supersedes or not, isn't important. You're not nobody. This is a thing that is happening, I think, with Twitter, especially. And I'm not, you know, the first person to report on this, but everybody doesn't need to have an opinion about everything. Everybody needs. To, you don't need to. You don't need to worry about the likability and electability of a candidate. You're not their campaign manager. You just have to. But I do worry about those things. Oh, we've had this exact conversation. <laughs> but the point is that, like. Yeah, you don't have to fully stop watching yeah. Woody Allen movies, but if you're going to watch a Woody Allen movie and yeah. you're not going to think this guy's terrible and gross and evil and 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 at least think of the the has he done more harm than good. Right. I think that and and I ugh, it's I hard to I don't even it's know hard to I, watch escapist shit with yeah, with horrible people. I'm going to But say, it's yeah, but sure. it's there's more than just escapist escapism, right? Yeah. There is – I used to say this about Woody Allen, right? I worked on a show for a long time and the boss was difficult. And that's kind of the point. The boss was difficult and difficult to the point where it made a lot of our lives difficult, right? And I would often walk around and saying, well, you know, nothing, nothing abusive, nothing to the point where like, you know, we were in like psychiatric treatment or anything like that. And that does happen on shows where bosses are – Abusive to the point where people are actually see, actually need to seek treatment specifically because of that. That's not what was happening. My two dads, famously. for instance, is that true? <laughs> God damn it! So, it, so I would walk around and say, you know, Maybe. it would be. I would. I was told on a regular basis the only person who had a worse reputation was Matt Weiner. And I used damn. to think, well, if we were making Mad Men, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be one thing, yep. mm-hmm. and it would be tolerable, knowing that in the end of the day. The product we're giving to the world is Mad Men. And I used to say that in terms of Mad Men, like I hear Matt Weiner, not the nicest guy, right? But he's giving me Mad Men. And I would say that about Woody. Woody, not the nicest guy, 
not the nicest guy, but he's doing something. Now this is I'm talking this you you know what the show is. It was not yesterday. So they we're talking about ten years ago. Um or longer. Oh, you said this then about Woody. Yes. Okay. That I hear not the best things about Woody, but look, he's it, this is really like when the biggest thing about him was Sunyi. Mm-hmm. So where the whole thing was like, wow, that's not great. You know, he did marry his wife's his his girlfriend's daughter. That's he knew her when she was a kid. That's all very like icky. But like there's nothing like clearly like kind of illegal and like, you know what? He gave me Manhattan. So like I can like I can look past that because he does this. So my my kind of bigger point is no one else is giving me mad men. No one else is doing that thing. There is no other place to go for mad men. Mm-hmm. And if I wanna experience Mad Men again or learn from Mad Men. Um, that's the one place I have to go. And I know now that Matt Weiner is even worse than I knew then. I just heard he was a bad boss. Now I know he is a sexual harasser. Is this an exclusive? No, 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 no. This came out. This came the out. Ki- the Kidder Gordon thing. This came out. The what? One of his... One of his uh, writers accused writers him of sexually... Or basically saying um, that one night he said, you're going to... You you know, for all I've done for you, you're going to have to sleep with me. Boo. And... Uh, he, you know, he claims it never happened. She left the business. I'm thinking it happened. Um, I'm, in fact, I don't want to speculate too much more about it. But my only point is, he's worse than I thought, and yet uh, I could absolutely see me watching Mad Men again. So it's not just escapism, and I can look at Mad Men and say the guy who created this is a creep and uh, does something that, like, I think is kind of, you know, I think sexual harassment's like kind of as revolting as it gets. Like I hate power plays like that. Sure. And putting people in that position makes me kind of queasy. On the flip side, I can divorce, I can divorce those feelings from he's the only person who has ever, you know, created a show like this. And that's singular in nature. I would also, so that I think that, I mean, and, and I, I think I, I sort of, as is the case, sometimes I find myself in the middle of both of this. Like I, I really do I'm feel protecting like, you, dude. No, I, <laughs> What, what, I, what kind of bullshit I, is that? And I'm attacking you. What kind of bullshit is no, that? No, no, no. We're three white men. We're going to get to the bottom <laughs> of it. I'm sure we can figure this out. No, what I, what I was going to say is it, it really does come down to – and maybe maybe I'm making it too black and white. But part of it is I looking at Mel Gibson's face or watching Mad Men are – it's just it's just very different. Like I can divorce. You're saying divorce, for, but it's also for you if you have no. I was gonna say know, Ben's, Ben's point is it's not different. Ben's point is it it, it so it, what if it's a guy's face? You know what's happening. It's a yeah. We we, we Hollywood jerks. <laughs> we we know. know better than anybody. Yeah. That like and we're willing to not watch a thing because someone was mean to you at a Starbucks. How are we doing with the Mel stuff? I think we're done. I don't want to talk about Mel anymore. You're going to talk about awful. him the He's rest canceled. of the podcast. Goodbye to Mel. He's just – Mel is and just – And Woody and whoever else you got. Yeah. It, I mean listen. Bad, policy, people, bad people, bad like, people, bad people. Don't yeah. don't fucking buy their shit. Don't watch their stuff. Like that. that's the ultimate. And I think that it, it's it's – Obviously, it's a because be who you want to be in the world, right? Like walk you your want, it's a really walk good, your thing, it's a right? Really good like if you you don't want to be the guy that's yeah. like here's an asterisk about some creep that that's whose violence doesn't affect me personally. I feel I, like I just made that asterisk. You did. I was just a creep. No, no you weren't fine. a creep, but but I do think that, no, I do think it's not black and white, yeah. obviously. But I, and I don't really want to make that point. No, no, I do, I do. I, yeah. I think that that's that. Like I and just like to the fucking. William H. Macy, Felicity Huffman point. You know, there are some people who I think won't watch their shit anymore. 
Felicity Huffman, I think, and certainly Lori Loughlin, not like anyone really cares, but like a lot of people are just like, no, these people are are, are symbolic of the inequity in the inequity in America, yeah. and they've took advantage, taken advantage of the system, taken places from less adv- less uh, advantaged people, and fuck them too. But it's not that black and white. That's what I'm saying. I won't just take like, the pledge. They're doing the thing. They did the thing that we all thought that they that people did. I don't love that argument. No, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying. I like, just I don't love that. That just I just don't love the whole like everyone does it. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not. But, that's not the excuse. It, it, I'm saying like, didn't you think that that's what they did? No, no, not them. I mean, I no. Mean, I mean, I people who are rich don't they? I think they take. The, I think they don't take they the back door, not the side door. But I think that's a big difference. I think there's a, a big difference to doing it above board and doing it, you sure. know, kind of yeah. underhandedly like that. But all right, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I have no no skin in this one. <laughs> not my cow, not my farm. <laughs> is that the name of your production company? What no. the, What is the name of your production company? Work juice. Work juice. Yeah, it's you fun. didn't. You didn't play the Acker Blacker Quacker game. Or? <laughs> <laughs> Please, the game is Acker Blacker Sodi Crack. <laughs> oh, no, we didn't play it. Uh, so no, uh, it's from guys. Go. It's available right. on iTunes. What's going on? Adventure, what's going on with Paybacker? Uh, mm, Packer. Nice. Um, what, what do you guys think of the dictionary definition at the beginning of this film? Of payback? Of in the director's cut. In the director's cut. I thought it should have been the name of the movie. Didn't even know. Did you know why that it was there? Apparently, he added it because the studio expressed concern that audiences might not know Porter was acting on principle and might not know what principle meant. Yeah, that that sounds right. <laughs> which is great. Sorry, which cut was that in? That was in the theatrical, I think. No. Oh, then it was in the director's. He put it in there, I guess, for some reason. No, but then it sounds like it was his concern. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he spoon-fed more. A little bit. Um, uh, are we going to talk about the great uh, wall-to-wall character actors yes. populating this thing? There's a lot of them. There's so many. Like, there's everybody's kind of great is, in this. This isn't one of those movies. And and I'm, I'm there's a little bit of influence on the – they're doing Michael Mann on Blank Check right now. And Michael Mann does this too, which is like uh, real-looking people. Mm-hmm. That don't look like movie stars. Mm-hmm. And I think that this film is populated with a lot of that. People with like good face. But a lot of good faces. Too, men. Like, yeah. Mostly the men. The women are all – The women are all gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous, yeah. And the same type, right? Well, not Lucy well, Liu. Can, we, but, can oh, right. we please talk about the fact that David Kara Unger looks so much like Maria Bello yeah. that when he shows her the photo after he beats her up and he says, this was from the past, I was like, wait. What's happening? You Who's this person in here? Married a you, woman that you, looked just like her. And then it, later you're like, oh, he was trying to explain to her that she shot him because she thought that he was cheating on her, right. but it wasn't. It's just like you just didn't need it. Like you didn't need that photo to be seen then. Right. That's why the, the theatrical release is better. <laughs> yes. Or less, just cut that less. bit right. from the fight in mm-hmm. the director's cut. Sure. Because – you we can should, just we should cut this movie. We should, but like yeah, we should do the because uh, like podcast like a ninety nine cut when the directors when, when the when the double cross happens mm-hmm. and it's clear uh-huh. that she went that she thinks he was cheating on her. You could just had it happen there, and then you meet Maria Bella later, and you're like, oh, blah, you blah, just blah. described yeah. the theatrical cut. Did I? Yeah. Well, but they didn't cut the the they cut the whole beating portion out of it. Like they just lifted that entire section. Right. But no, the the part where she double crosses him yes. and shoots him in the back. That's when Val's all. I should, I should have a PhD. I convinced her of this. I knew you would do that, and that was the least Parker yeah. part of the movie. Like, yeah. don't bring your girlfriend in the score. Yeah. Don't do a score with a guy you know is unreliable. Like he walks away in book after book. 
this this inside job guy has a heroin problem. He's like, no, we're not doing the job. Like, yeah. He's a, I mean. And he's a pragmatist. He's a pragmatist. He's a professional. This isn't that. This is about tough. This isn't about professionalism. Right, right, right. No, but, that, but that's that, true. Like, it bumps me watching I, going like, why would you turn your back on a junkie? You well, know? I mean, of course the movie, you know. No offense to the junkie audience. Well, <laughs> yeah. five years sober, yeah. whatever. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, 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 no you're not. I am five years sober. <laughs> I'm kidding about taking offense. <laughs> that was amazing. I was, I was just worried about your sobriety. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. You don't want to be the one to push him over. Uh, <laughs> is, is junkie an insensitive term? I'm asking the room. I'm, not, I'm just looking uh, at you. I don't, is it? No one uses the term junkie. That's. I mean, I don't want to. Use, I don't want to go to any other groups here. But there are some outdated terms that like it's yeah, are no, so silly. I say it, and I. It's the probably the first time I said it out loud. No, it's a, it's a, it's think, a term that is. Hey, that's probably not okay. It's a term that's so silly. Uh huh. I don't know, junkie. It's. Junkie uh, just, alcohol was my problem, not drugs. Uh, you would never call an alcoholic a junkie. No, I certainly <laughs> I There's already a word for an yes, alcoholic, and it junkie does polite. feel like an yeah. out, it does feel like an outdated term. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure that people say junkie that much anymore. Junkie's but. hilarious term. Uh, don't worry. Um, here's my question. Look, I'm just not gonna watch anything by me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think Deborah Kerr Unger is a great actress. I wish that she had done more movies. It's a shame that she didn't. I thought she was great in Crash. I thought she was good in this. She didn't have a whole lot to do, no, but I think didn't. she was. What was she in that you liked? I haven't seen. I'm not Crash, familiar. Cronenberg's Crash. No, no, no. But the you game. say you wish. When you said I wish she had done more movies, I imagine that she had a, a TV career that I didn't know about. No, well, I she just was don't in think the game. She, she just didn't. She actually she was great in the game. Yeah, she just yeah. she has a very interesting look to her, mm-hmm. and I just was feel she like in she, the Matrix. No, she could have been. She has that vibe. You guys did no in harmony. That was nice. No, <laughs> no. Um, she she has a uh, a steeliness to her that she does that really works well and those with cheekbones. A certain tone of movie yeah. that this falls into the game. Cronenberg's Crash. She yeah. She is of a certain tone that I think is really cool. She's very um, exotic looking. She looks and like she just seems like otherworldly. Otherworldly is a, yeah the way I would put it. Yeah. A little ethereal. Yeah, there's something very cool um, about her. Um, but yeah, I mean, she also dies in five minutes in this movie. Yeah, she's not in it for very long. Great image though of the the needle and the and mm-hmm. the wedding ring. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a it's a really interesting movie in the sense that and I'm, I'm speaking more to the director's cut than the theatrical right now but there's this this needle that is trying to thread tone wise that i think it's varying degrees of success but when it does and when it does hit those notes and when sort of you get to see all like the tone and 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 mel's star wattage and all of it kind of cresting together at times it is really special and I do feel like I saw that more in the director's cut than I saw it in the theatrical version for me personally. But it's just – it's a high wire act and, and, and you got to wonder why he wanted this to be his first directorial effort. It's just it's, – it's a tough one. He's a real book nerd, right? Like right. he – you heard the story of how he pursued LA Confidential? No. Like I'm looking up right he now. He didn't have the rights. I think Curtis Hansen was pursuing it and got the rights – and so, uh, Helgeland, I think mm-hmm. is how Helgeland. What did I say? Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it for the first time. Yes, Brian Helgeland. Uh, yeah. and, you know, you never know with G's. 
Um, <laughs> you never know with G's. Helshelland? <laughs> well, that was a Dr. Dre album. Invent- you never know with G's. <laughs> the inventor of him calls him Helshelland. <laughs> yes. right. But uh, he like – His father. He pers- yeah. He pursued uh, Hanson about – Oh, I didn't know that. Like, okay. Combined versions and it was a thing, I think. Okay. Um, and uh, and this – like if you like the book LA Confidential, odds are you like the Parker books. Oh. Like, yeah. And, and they that were passions sense. for him. You know? What's wrong? Did I say it wrong? No, Is just not how good. Just no, just how young James Alroy was when he wrote all this shit. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fucking. Mad. <laughs> you no. would think the look on Kenny's face was like someone had died, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, it's a part of Kenny. He's barely, barely older than me when he wrote back Black Dahlia. Well, but he <laughs> lived that story for a long time in a bad way. Yeah, he had to go through a lot of shit. Whatever. Have you seen him on? Uh... He's, he's great. He's great. Well, I saw a Conan appearance of him. Oh, I haven't seen that. Promoting uh, L.A. Confidential. He was uh-huh. only, he's only 42. Check it out at your leisure. He's I don't want to tell the story. But... when L.A. Confidential is – fuck wow. this. Yeah. I'm... But he looks 60. Are you packing it up? Are you, are you done? I'm done. <laughs> you just, there's just that, 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 that story. Well, don't quit podcasting, That's, kid. I'll never quit podcasting. No, I mean, that story is the dies. story. That, that story or that novel is written by such a man who is – uh, who has seen things? Yes. Who's been around? You think that was written by Mother a sixty-year-old man? Died. When they're talking about Black Dahlia, I'm talking about LA Confidential. All right. All right. But either way, you'd think that, like, certainly the Black, Black LA Confidential just feels so lived in and wise. And at forty-two, you know fucking nothing. So <laughs> this is bullshit. All right. I'm forty-two. Yeah, I know you know nothing. That's <laughs> oh wow. You got twenty more. It's a good thing you're at the beginning of your career. I'm you, a got, kid. you got twenty more years to make your LA Confidential, or so There's, I thought. Right. Until a second or ago, twelve years ago. Now TV, I know uh, it's TV writer. Yeah. There's so much acting to do. <laughs> oh. So here, here's the thing. Uh, he's Lit on us. At, What's the at, Helgeland has only directed at nine. I like that you don't trust me. <laughs> I'm just, just trying to trying to keep on this fucking thing. He, he doesn't trust anyone. Don't uh, worry. What Canadians? Canadians, typical. That's a lie. Uh, yeah, so too trusting. He he does payback. He does a Knight's Tale. He does a movie called The Order with Heath Ledger that apparently also got taken away from him. Um, then he does Forty Two, which was quite successful. Then he does Legend, which I never saw about the twins, the the Tom Hardy. I oh. think that is that. I think that's the one that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes, where he plays uh, the the two killer twins or whatever. Mm. Uh, and now he's got something called the. Finest Kind, which is in pre-production uh, with Zendaya, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ansel Elgort. And I bet he's making $300,000 a week doing rewrites. For sure. He's got to be one of those guys. You would right? think. Yeah. You would think. Anyway, but so he does LA Confidential, which it seems like he found out that Curtis Hansen had the rights to it. Perhaps he figured out a way for them to they, – they wrote it together. Yeah. Like it's And so there's that. Uh, he writes Conspiracy Theory, which is how he meets Mal. That movie is so bad. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, but it did, it did very well. Made a lot of money. <laughs> it's just a, was it's just Julia a, Roberts the lady in that? Correct. Yes. Uh, and Mel Gibson plays a paranoid, paranoid schizophrenic. Who's probably right? Am I right? Yeah, he's got a lot of conspiracy theories, and it's all which surprisingly one? like Mel. I can't tell you which one I is the one that's. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that that trope upsets me. Yeah. In like it's a it, I love it for how like it's a fourteen year old's idea for a story. It's so cruel. Yeah. It's oh, so sure that part. No, no, but it's just it's so cruel. This idea that like paranoid schizophrenics are actually right. That's I mean, and I it's just it's I don't know. Again, like mental health shit. It's it runs so contrary to what it, that actually it, that actually feels like to live with somebody who's a paranoid schizophrenic, and then to have 
pop culture constantly saying the person who's hearing things, the person who's seeing conspiracies is actually right and reinforcing that idea when that person needs so much help. Oh, okay. It sucks. I despise that movie. Needless to say, despise it. We should do a TV version of it. In fact, the thing is, <laughs> sold it in the room. Yeah. The, the, in fact, like the thing is, like Beautiful Mind, also bad movie more because of the, who the guy was. Yeah. But at least that treats mental health in an honest way. More honest. Very honest. Yeah. Yeah. If the first half you you are experiencing it with him. It's true. What it feels like to be that way. What it feels like to feel like you're seeing things and mm-hmm. and and that everyone else isn't. And then they actually burst that bubble and they they deal with it in a very honest way. Um. Better than it's not a great movie either, but better than conspiracy theory. Sorry, I uh, no, it's the conspiracy theory. Uh, Brian Helgeland wrote it. Um, <laughs> he also he also wrote the Postman. Have you ever seen the Postman? No, the Postman like. is amazing. You guys haven't seen that? I haven't seen Kevin Costner Postman. plays a post apocalyptic Postman. Do you remember anything else about it? Yeah, no, I, tell me I, tell me as much as you can tell me about it. I saw it in the theater. Uh, he it's his follow up to Waterworld, right? No, he didn't direct Waterworld. Oh, he, you're, it's his follow-up follow to, to Dances with Wolves. It's his second movie he directed. Yes. All right, go on. <laughs> it's basic. Take us there. He, I love Kevin Costner so much. It's so, you, you should watch. It is so funny I really, that he's really had these, like, epic he, failures. You I, need to watch The Postman. I can't believe you haven't seen it. So a friend of mine, Andrew Palkovic, went to see The Postman I just in, do it in 1997 myself. when it came out. And I was like, I'm not going to see The Postman. It looks ridiculous. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to see it. He goes and sees it, loves it, and says, you're coming with me, and drags me and some friends to see it. Because it, I think a little bit ironically, but also just because he was like, this movie was a lot of fun, and you're going to enjoy it. Basically, it's almost three hours long, and it's Kevin Costner plays a post-apocalyptic postman who speaks very sort of like colloquially in a way that's odd. You don't really understand what happened to the world exactly and why any of this transpired. I just remember the Tom Petty's in it playing Tom Petty. Whoa. And mm-hmm. it's great. And Was he a postman before the apocalypse? No. Maybe. I don't know. But I love like mundane shit after the apocalypse, just delivering mail after the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. got to keep normalcy somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> People but, are still going to want to write letters. I'll say this. They're going to want to write letters more. <laughs> it had an ending. So it ends with just, – just, just Are you making worth. fun of payback? <laughs> No. This movie had an ending. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike some movies. We're talking the about The movie ends with like these two factions that are – there's like a, a some sort of, I don't know. Uh, FedEx. A, a war UBS. going on between them. <laughs> and it ends with <laughs> – This is kind of a good movie. You're, you're pitching to the room. You uh, kind yeah, of are. The FedEx-USPS war. Um, and he has so, – so Kevin Costner plays – he doesn't have a name. His name's just the postman. Mm. And Will Patton plays uh, this the bad guy, and they have a fight at the end, where it's I, I swear it's like ten minutes of just two middle aged white guys rolling around in the dust. Like it's not mm. even a fight. It's not. It's it just looks so fucking absurd. It's like I, Curly re- and Judd. You really got. I, I I'm not doing the film the film justice, guys. You really need to see it. And it, it's it's. Yeah, it's so good. 97, and right? 97, but do you know what, what year it takes place in? 2019. 2013. Oh, that's so, awesome. Now I want to watch. It takes place 20 years later, I and they're just like, apocalypse. For sure. We're not making it past 2013. Do you guys think it's 2019 right now? In 20, what year? 2039? 20, 30, 20 mm-hmm. years from now? Yeah. It's 
pretty much just going to be like this, right? Yeah, I mean, Trump will still be president, but Better. I mean, it's like yeah. this with smaller iPhones, right? In our brains, brain. I don't think brain so. phones. I don't think so. <laughs> Isn't the <laughs> I think you're wrong. <laughs> Skeptical of the brain phone. I don't think we're going to get the brain phones. <laughs> I hope we do. Isn't the the environment going to explode before then? Probably. Isn't that? I mean, we'll just have a day. We'll be underwater. Oh yeah. yeah, They pick a date. They pick a date. I mean, everyone got invited. Do Do I think that's actually going to happen? God, I I hope not. I like. I I I like. (laughs) On record as hoping that the world doesn't end. Yeah, I am. I mean, like, (laughs) we've spoken about enough big topics. Not much of a hot take, but. I, Can I, we say how good Will Devane is? Am I like Will Devane's got a great voice? He's got a great face. Great face, great voice. He's great, great ass. He, great ass. <laughs> He's he he has one of the weirdest things in this movie, which is his scene. The way he does. Is, well, that's absurd. But that's that, and with a like, like an orange cranks. slice in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's just what's weird is or great is that his performance. Because of the fact that the person on the end of the phone is different in the two different mm-hmm. versions, his performance stays the same and oddly works with either version. Yeah. And they're both great. Yeah. Like I it's, love both of those it's great. performances. It's so bizarre. Oh, uh, Coburn's so good. It's just yeah, – well, Coburn's, Coburn's great. That there's no – that's just mean, man. Is There's yeah. no gif of that. It is a crime. <laughs> you could make one. I can't. One. Yeah, could. Who do I know? How could I do it? Yeah, well, that's a good How do you question. do it? I don't know. I would not. I don't call know. in. I have a friend who could do it. All right. Uh, Let him know. I will also say or this. Her. As much as I did not need him in the movie or his role, Chris Christopherson's good in it. Yeah. Like he – Chris Christopherson and Mel Gibson, his mano and mano. His, his eyes are, eyes are so weird. weird. Super beady. Chris yeah. Christopherson is always good. Yeah. Because he's the Blade. only guy who brings the Chris Christopherson thing. Yeah. You know? Yes. It's like walking. Yes. But like – so, but James Coburn almost – like James Coburn is great this too. movie, all the – like Devane the two guys too. who are the cops. Yeah. Who are those guys? They're everywhere. Jack uh, – oh, what's his name? Jack. One of the two guys who's – the two oh, cops. Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're always good. It's so okay. So there's a I couple love of cast and character actors yes. who are the only people who bring the thing they bring. Mm-hmm. Pamer, for instance, yep, is the only Pamer in the world. No, except another, for his brother, yeah. who is a sitcom actor, it's Stephen another. Pamer. Yes, uh-huh. doesn't bring the same thing though. Who are the other he brings different Pamer? Who is the who is no, the it's guy? His brother. Who is the uh, Barton Fink feeling in Barton Fink? Barton Fink feeling that uh, the producer? No, no, no. The pr- the producer who's like, I want that Barton. F- Ken uh, Ken Lerner. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has a brother. Somebody learner uh-huh. that is like the small size, which version. is pocket size. Version? Yeah, he's pocket size. That's great. Wait, you're talking about the big guy. Mm-hmm. It's not Ken. It's um, is it's it Michael? Like, yes, it's Michael. Is the so brother Michael's Ken? got a Ken? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, the only the only thing that stuck out in this movie is like, wait, that's just nonsense. Was when David Paymer was shot by the machine gun, and he just holds and, him. Oh, up. I love that. Well, he holds him up. And then he sneaks out of the car, and, he, and he's still held up yeah, yeah. by the power of the thing that's pushing. Yeah, he uh, just, yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't make any of a sense. Description for the home audience. So essentially, okay, just so people understand, Mel Gibson is in the back of a cab mm-hmm. with David Paymer. In both versions, both versions. David Paymer, he uses that bit with the gun is so good. It's ridiculous. Paymer's got a gun on him, yeah. and he just grabs he just it. Grabs yeah, it. that's he great. Grabs it. He holds Paymer up kill to me, the window yeah. as a bunch of hoodlums. Uh-huh. A gang comes. A gang comes and shoots up the Lucy, window Lucy and uses Lou's him as gang. a human field mm-hmm. shield. 
But Pamer stays there stays while Ben – Ben. Well, Mel gets out of the car, goes Very around similar. the back. Porter. Whatever. Anyway, point is it's I'm, fucking ridiculous. I'm not happy to talk about what Mel – Plus also, that's a six-shooter, right? Last time I checked, the gun he's holding is a six-shooter. Oh, yeah. He goes through like 50 bullets. Well, he's Porter. Parker. Do you guys think it's weird <laughs> that – that. I love your observational chunk of this show. Oh, my God. Mel Gibson has not been canceled. In fact, he has he been. He was canceled for like a minute. Like and then a it, minute. And then of all the movies to come back in, that well, Father's Day thing. Oh, but he also uh, that, had Hacksaw Ridge. But he had, no, he had Hacksaw yeah, Ridge. He's nominated you're for right, Best you're Fucking right, you're Picture. Right. And, best, <laughs> and Best Director. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, he it's was crazy. so uncanceled. He was, like, uncanceled you're, in such a profound right. way. I don't know how that He was like happened. the Beaver. Like, the Beaver was to Joe, like, the massive script, top of the blacklist, yeah. Jodie Foster's Kyle Kellen, right? He's, yep. like, a really great writer. Yep. And, like, anyone could, they, she could, she could have anyone play that role, even if it was a bad movie. She wanted to give him a shot. She likes Mel Gibson. Yep. Mel Gibson has been so uncanceled. Why has he been uncanceled? I don't know. He has been uncanceled with a certain subsect. Obviously, people that greenlight movies, it seems. But and watch movies. <coughs> Daddy's Home didn't do that great. Well, but Axel Ridge did. I think that we're going to live in a world where Mel Gibson. I don't know anybody who saw it. Neither Academy of members. Enough. And parents. Enough of them did. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to live in a world where Russian Mel Gibson bots. Russian bots. Mel Gibson. For the next 25 years of his life, the remaining 25 years of his life, is going to be doing Clint Eastwood, <coughs> where he's going to be doing movies all the fucking time. And we're just going to have to live with the fact that Mel Gibson – and they're going to be well-reviewed and they're going to get nominated for Oscars and we're just going to have to fucking live with it. You don't want that to happen. You stop watching Mad Men. <laughs> stop watching Mad Men. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. Yeah, that's that's, true. that's the only way that happens. That's <laughs> so, so – A butterfly stops flapping his wings. <laughs> you stop watching Mad Men. Am I in trouble? No. So uh, can we start this podcast? <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm looking at some stuff like production notes and stuff that happened during the, the making of the movie. Deborah Kerr Unger broke two ribs Jesus. in the scene where oh, he beats her in up. The fight scene, yeah. Not oh, worth he, it. oh, he took it seriously, huh? Apparently, yeah. He's like, I want this to look real. He said uh, she stated that she was having fun flying around and getting slammed into things and did one too many. Or Mal was, you know, whatever. Uh, the restoration of the director's cut took place in 2005. Most of the original elements were not preserved, so the editor and Haugland had to make do with what was preserved from the original film stock. They were able to change the blue tint and all that various stuff. Um, I think it's also interesting that uh, he Haugland talks about uh, the Lucy Liu of it all. says, I think tonally this is one of those scenes that got me into a little bit of trouble. Tonally, I think I confused the studio with the scene where she beats up Val. I don't necessarily know it was confusion. I think it just – I'm not really sure what the tone of that scene was, and I'm not convinced that he did either, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's assume intent. Mm-hmm. Let's. Uh, well, I mean I think the, the cynical version is he wanted to show Lucy Liu in virtually nothing beating this guy up. Yeah. What's the what, – what, what is he trying to say? Like what is the best possible version of that scene? Because he's, he's, mm. he's explicitly saying in that that people didn't understand my intention. Yeah, he and can't. I think that it was about the tone of the movie that it gets to be funny, mean, gritty, uh, sexy all at once. Like yeah. it gets to do, it gets to walk this line of uh, theoretical wit. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's <laughs> theoretical wit's the name of my uh, autobiography. <laughs> Appropriate. Well, I, I'm glad to plug you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, but no, it's that it's like this, it's the mission statement of like. 
I'm doing 10 awesome things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Albert Brooks and Ted Danson both auditioned to play Val. I boo don't... and Boo. Boo and Boo? Just well, those guys. I love them in the world. Right, but they, would, they would not no, have been right. It would have been terrible. It should have been... Um... Brooks could have done it. Maybe. Uh, I, I, I love him too much. They I both think. seem a little too old for the role. Too lovable for the role. And maybe too lovable. I would never root for Bell Gibson over those guys. No well, matter what they did to Albert him. Albert Brooks in, in Drive was pretty intimidating. Yeah, I would root for Ryan Gosling over him. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. There's another... <laughs> there's an actor I keep thinking should have played this role, and I can't put my yeah. head on him. Head on him. I can't put my finger on it. It's it's uh, but he's like got this, this like it, maybe the was it the rapist from Shawshank? You know that guy, the rapist from Shawshank. The sisters of yes, something that guy. I think so. That's very specific. Well, it's very specific. I mean, guy. Clancy Brown would have been great. I was thinking Clancy Brown too when you said Shawshank. Clancy Brown's pretty tough. I love him. He's Clancy Brown's cool. a, a a yeah. I he was in the pilot of Sleepy Hollow. Very nice guy. Very. Very tall, very Acker-sized. Thanks. Let me see if I can find it. If I keep saying. So I think we should just kind of breeze through the plot. We've hit a bunch of the points, but I just want to make sure yeah, that we get most it. of it. Because I know that, that you know through the two cuts, it was a little different. But uh, we mentioned earlier that the director's cut has him sort of walking down the street. We're hearing the kind of staccato of the various voice – not voiceover, but of the sort of double-cross memory, what have you. Uh, the theatrical opens uh, in sort of an underground CD sort of – doctor's surgery room, something like that. Similar to the, the uh, where the Joker in the in Tim Burton's Batman got his uh, bandages done. It seemed like mm-hmm. a very sort of similar vibe. The guy's name is Mark Ralston. He played Boggs. Boggs. Yeah, Boggs is great. And he's got that... Well, it's not great. He's a rapist. He was great as Boggs. He's a rapist. Um, I, but He's, he's got, not Boggs. He's got that face. He was also in The Departed, <laughs> Delahunt. Boggs is canceled. Bug, did you just cancel Boggs? Boggs? Boggs is canceled. <laughs> I'll never watch another Boggs movie again. Uh, <laughs> um, so the, the theatrical cut opens with him having the surgery, having the bullets taken out of his back. Uh, it's it's just it's, – it's directed in a very sort of almost cartoonish way. Like it's a fine line between gritty and like Zack Snyder. And it, it has sort of a, a, a very kind of like look at how gritty we are vibe that I just wasn't really feeling. That's just me personally. But At the time I remember thinking I hadn't seen that kind of thing before. Right. You know, like I get that it's part of part of the charm of the thing. I'll say this: I could have. There's systems I, in place in in crime, like the John Wick of it all. I could have. Stu- yes, I could have stomached the beginning of the theatrical cut more than the end of the theatrical cut. The end is a fucking messery and should all be thrown away. But uh, Porter tracks down that gang- this gangster friend of his, partner from the past, Val Resnick, his wife Lynn. He finds his wife, not Val Luton. Yeah, Val Resnick. I said Val Luton, and you said. Yeah, I just was like, whatever. All right. I was just going to let you have it. I also <laughs> didn't remember his last name. Uh, so he, he catches up with his wife. Um, and basically through sort of flashbacks, we realize that she double-crossed him with Val. She thought he was cheating on her. He wasn't. Um, and Val did it just for shits and giggles. Like, I don't really know what Val's intent was. Val's intent was to get back in the outfit. Oh. he And he knew he couldn't, like... But how does short of see- killing Porter, he couldn't get but away. Why does that get him back in the outfit? He owed them money. Oh, because he was beating up women. Like it all, like kind the story's of. There, yeah. You know? It's just not delineated well. 
is sort of the point I'm trying. Like it's it's but right, keep telling either me. way. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't wanna, no, 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 no. I only hear a rail at this point to keep to keep it on the rails. Um, well, I mean, listen, <laughs> we've only been talking about it for an hour and forty minutes. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, and you were worried about two hours. <laughs> no, I was just curious. Uh, so I'll do three. We now have the moment where he goes back to his wife. He realizes she's strung out on heroin. She had a secret stash. She overdoses. The next morning, he puts the wedding ring and the needle uh, in the wall. Uh, he has that dude from Six Feet Under. Yeah, Freddie Rodriguez shows up with his fucking good, hair is yeah. crazy, and his performance is he's singular. He's like great. he's in another movie, but it works. Yeah, he's great. I wish he came um, back quite when honestly, he in the movie. Does this thing like with his hand? Yeah, he's yeah. like, I'll tell you where your yeah. where Val is, yeah, and, and he grabs, grabs his crotch, but he does it in like an Evil Dead Two possessed hand kind of way. <laughs> it's, it's it's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, it's great. Like, and that's all the character actors in this movie get to shine. Everyone like brings some weird little thing, mm-hmm. and again, that is a testament to Helgeland and allowing people to bring a little thing that makes it pop. Because I will say this: if this was directed by someone who didn't care, or or was fine with just sort of like getting it done that, that those little sort of picadillos, those little weird things that make it pop or mm-hmm. make it you know, stay with you. And that's why you liked it for all these years. I think it's very clear. He cares. Yeah. Furthermore, it's proof that he cares that he went through all the, pro- uh, went through all the trouble of recutting it and yes. putting out his version. Um, that like, like that's not the problem. That's the problem with so many movies we don't like is that it's clear that it was just a paycheck. Yes. But, um, this to me, especially the theatrical version, is just a misfire, and I think that's a yeah. big difference. Like, I I do like the I do like the the what you guys are saying, and actually, I don't give it a negative re, like a negative yeah. grade at the end. Yeah, but it's not nearly what I think he thought it was going to be. I agree with that. If that makes sense, I mean, I think there's also I I really do think that you know thirty percent of this film was taken away from him in the th- in the theatrical cut, and and again, you can see significant tonal differences. You can see just you know ten minutes more were added into it. Uh, it, it's, you just, it, it's all just stuff that you don't need. And it's still unknown who the director was of these additional reshoots. Like it's all sorts of, there's all kinds of weird shit with this movie. And whether you like it or not, I think the director's cut has a cleanliness and a vision and he understands what he's set up to do and he achieves it. And he should have been allowed to do that. It's what they hired him to do. So that's where my umbrage comes in more than like anything else. But um, I love the scene with the uh, uh, with the head-on collision. I just love how lo-fi it That's is. That's cool. It's cool, and it but it popped in another like mm-hmm. he's a professional. Yeah, he is putting in this mouth guard for a crash he's about to have. Yeah. Val should have had a mouth guard. Yeah, like Val just like covers his mouth. Yeah, like an idiot. Like, but like Parker would have been like, we're getting mouth guards. You know, like it's yep. it's yep. part yep. of yep. the plan. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so we get to Resnick. Uh, to get to Resnick, Porter must deal with a low-life drug dealer and gambler named Arthur Stegman, played by David Paymer. David Paymer, I love him when he plays a scumbag mm-hmm. because it's so like he feels like a real person. He just feels like a he feels like a real guy. I don't know. He's funny not, in this. It you're not going to fucking kill me, are you? It's like, it like it's three so times. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ, you're not going to fucking. Yeah. Is the the button on the kids not with all these kids here? Yes. Is it in the director's yes. cut? I didn't I'm pretty think, sure it is. I didn't think it was. Uh, I'll come yes. back when these kids aren't around. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I don't think, think so. it is. I don't it's remember. It's in the director's cut. I don't think it is. I don't remember. Um, but who knows? Okay. Uh, I like Pamer as a scumbag too. I, I like – I believe that there are people like Pamer. Yes. 
hanging out in these worlds. People who are just looking for shortcuts. It's um, such a it's such a character of that genre, like the corrupt. Like he owns the, the, the cab corrupt weenie. company, but like, but with this with this thriving business, you know who you know? he is, Michael Cohen. It's yeah. a, it's that exact same kind of vibe, yeah, yeah, he's you got know. That. Yeah, and I mean, Cohen's a fascinating character, just in real life. But it's that same kind of like, you know, hey, I'm a legit businessman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If but, you have to say it, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm of two minds in the of, in the genre of it all yeah. about the cops learning in that scene. These corrupt cops yeah. learning in the scene that he also deals heroin. Yeah. Felt like oh, those characters are limited in in like they exist in this scene as opposed to have. Yeah, uh, have existed before. That this isn't a place that that they've been to know right. that this guy does. Like they're willing to gamble in his joint. And they're willing to look the other way over like yes. the presumable presumable crimes. But this this major element of his operation, they just they're still cops. Like yeah. how do they not know? You know? Yeah, I liked the uh, the the door guy. Yeah, with the comes in with a bloody You're ear. Bleeding on my couch. Yeah, <laughs> it's just great. Yeah. Um, Rosie's apartment. Looks like such a fucking set. It's insane. No one lives in that space. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an outrageous spot. Like I imagine that they have all these prefab. She she lives in like one you know, of these. I know, but it it looks like I didn't, a it, didn't it looks like a yeah, set. Sure. Um, I thought that I thought Mel Gibson and Maria Bello had nice chemistry. I thought the scenes they had together were pretty great. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. She's a good actor. I think that the diner scene is one of the better additions that they have in the theatrical cut. They have a nice di- diner scene where. It's before they do the fucking Johnny stupid heist or whatever, and she's it's it's a nice scene. I really liked her when she was younger. I like her less as she's gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be a jerk, but yeah. I just just her her stuff is just I don't I don't know what it is. It's just not not what is she what is what is considered oh I younger from, I guess is my well question. I don't like her from about the history of violence on okay including history of violence? I don't like her in the history of violence oh really um I liked her in ER and I didn't like her in Prime Suspect but um, I never saw it. But you know, I like her hat. Do like no, I thought that was silly. But I do like this. I thought she was great, Coyote Ugly. Yeah, yeah I she's think good she's ugly. like I think she's cooler when she's having a little more fun. Maybe. Yeah, she's there's something about her that's very. I mean, I I don't know how to say it other than that it's very her. Like she's a, there is very something original about her vibe. I like her. I just think she's the the coolest chick on the she on is. the bus basically, yeah. Yeah. and that that vibe kind of went away as she got older. But yeah, that's it. It's not the buses that got small. <laughs> um, so it's the buses that got small. So Porter uh, finds Val, corners yeah. him in 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 Rosie's apartment. They have that scene um, where you see how Val tries to talk his way out of him killing him. Um, I do like, I like the scene. I like Val on it. So you do much. or don't? I do. I like the scene. Where he's like, do you have a light? And he's like, then what fucking good are you? Right, but I like yeah, uh, yeah, where he's right. where the dude's turtled on his yeah, back, yes. and is like yes. trying to talk his way into yes. the heist, like as he as if he's doing the dude a favor. <laughs> like it's so it's, it's a good scene. It's, that character is so I don't know. It's a good scene. I I I, I dug it. Um, in the theatrical version, Porter then kills three of the outfit's hitmen who have been sent to kill him. Uh, that evening, Porter confronts Carter in his office. We have the whole conversation with. Carter, played by um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Oh, is it Christopherson or Devane? no? It's William Devane. And another a great so. scene, a great scene, um, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I preferred it without Chris Christopherson. Um, I like that he just shoots him. I don't know why he dies in the way that he dies, but it's great. Isn't less more? Hmm? 
Well, if you can accomplish the same thing yes. by having a voice on a phone. Yes. And it's and it's the great Sally Kellerman. Sally Kellerman on the phone. And you don't have totally. to go through this whole totally. rigmarole, which is at best equal, but probably to me is like, you know, 10 extra minutes I don't really need. That's kind of what I feel like in general with uh, with the director's cut. You know, yep. I, though I do think the director's <clears throat> cut is superior in almost every way. Um, I do think the the kind of let's cut out this fat because we can get from A to B a lot quicker. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so. You know what? I like the idea of the director's cut. But the point of the movie is that he's tough. Yeah. So him getting got is the problem with it. Oh, you mean the fact that he doesn't get what he wants out of the scene? That, Part, Porter doesn't. That when the guy with yeah. the backpack shows up. Oh yeah. And then he start. And then yeah, Porter starts getting shot. Or you're yeah. getting to it. You mean yeah, when, yeah. when he takes a knee, and the woman behind him starts shooting? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Like that's that's not the story of this no. character. I agree. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I was. Looking, and it's more Jim Thompson. Yes. I felt like I. I you know, you look. You try to look through things through a kind of a classic storytelling lens, hero's journey. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're conditioned to do that. Early on in this movie, it didn't feel like that to me. It felt like we were not, we were, we were not given a protagonist to root for. Sure. It was really just to me, a series of events. And I don't mean that in a bad way, mm-hmm. right? A series of events viewed non-judgmentally, objectively by this director. So therefore it wasn't so important to me to see this character succeed. I kind of felt like I was just going to watch a character live out his life mm-hmm. and do something pretty inane too. Like to go through all this, it was pointed out several times in the movie, to go through all this for 70, 130, whatever thousand dollars uh, is pretty ridiculous. And yeah. it's a ridiculous thing. So I don't really feel like the point was necessarily that this character is tough. I, th- I felt like the point was that some, pe- some people will do crazy things when they're feeling Principle, the, like like the push of principle, the draw of revenge, um, and kind of the desperation of the moment. Um, and that's all it kind of felt like to me. So it didn't bother me. The end. It, it surprised me, but I kind of liked it in some way. That's 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 fair. Yeah. I, I think that part of my issue as well with the like with the Chris Christopherson element is that him being on speakerphone, kind of like talking to nothing. It just – it's strange. It's its a phone – I don't know. There, there was something about – it just felt like he was in a different movie. It felt like he was – it just I, 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 it just didn't jive with the other scene for, for what that's worth. Um, Porter kills Carter. Uh, Coburn shows up. You got your Fairfax situation. Uh, again, like the theatrical – this is where the theatrical version and the two versions really diverge. Um, in the director's cut, you really have Coburn. That scene plays out with the with the guys holding the the money, and thought that's all great. Um, Porter arranges it's his luggage. It's yeah, not his, it's not yeah, his, yeah. his luggage. My apologies. Um, Porter sort of arranges this whole this whole thing so that these internal affairs bust these crooked cops, which mm-hmm. is again a little bit a little hinky. It's a little weird, but it is what it is. Um, Porter gets in a shootout, kills Stegman and all the Chinese mobsters. It's a pearl. She survives. And then uh, Porter gets his money. He's shot by Fairfax's men, essentially, at what the is? end, in the director's cut. And uh, Rosie finds him sitting on the sidewalk. She hauls him into her car. She says they need to, she needs to take him to the hospital. He says no. Porter knows the guy. He tells her just to drive. 
Um, in the theatrical cut, as we mentioned a little bit, Chris Christopherson has a son. They kidnap the son. They go to a boxing match. They He realizes it's his birthday just then, which doesn't make any sense. And then it's all weird. But they basically kidnap him. Uh, they pretend as though they're going to kill him. He lures them to some abandoned apartment, blows everybody to high hell. They laugh. He says something about moving to Canada. It's You didn't like Canada as a punchline. Well, I, yeah, fuck that, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see you do it, but I heard it. <laughs> I can't imagine that your tongue was inside your mouth. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just love when Phil gets spicy about Canada. I just I didn't love that. I also it the, the voiceover in this really and I, I it's almost a trope now to talk about Blade Runner because of the the, the whole voiceover in that. But like he, there he is so disinterested in saying this voiceover. He is so <laughs> fucking bored. He's so sleepy and could give two shits. It just doesn't. It's just the theatrical version. It feels desperate. It feels like they're just jamming a bunch of shit in there, and it's just it's just. A, but again, it's a different energy. Like they, they both have different energies and I, and I don't necessarily think that I just, I dug the cleaner, the, 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 the cleaner, movie. better version. The, the, I mean, but it's, it's just such a hard thing. I mean, it's like they're, they're aiming to do two very different things. Yeah, I agree. So mm-hmm. it, it really isn't a matter of better or worse. It's really just a matter of what we prefer. And sure. I, I think that and what like, we count as like a superior what we kind of no 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 like yeah, not yeah. in a better way but like what what we value what's important what to us yeah, yeah yeah what we value and I I keep coming back to this idea of I strongly prefer the director's cut and yeah. I also strongly believe that the director's cut makes twenty five million dollars yes and everyone's like what are you guys doing yeah. and then also like people are like but like that was really cool and maybe we should give Brian Helgeland another chance to do something yeah. like that whereas in this like the the way reality did play out this movie made one hundred and ten million dollars. Right, more than that, I think. Hundred and so this movie Sorry. was a blockbuster. Uh, um, one hundred sixty-one million worldwide on a ninety million dollars. So budget. this movie did really well, yeah. right? Yeah. The studio. This is one of those instances where the studio actually did intervene mm-hmm. and probably saved this movie. Yeah, uh, probably. And, yeah, and I think its release date helped it too. It got pushed because they didn't want it to come out the February, same February, right? Yeah, it got. It was supposed to come out in ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's too bad. We wouldn't have been able to do this. That's a shame. But uh, I believe ninety eight uh, Lethal Weapon four came out, and there mm-hmm. was there was this whole like trying to juggle release dates and blah blah blah. So I think it benefited from benefited most likely from, a long weekend. There's, what there's no question to me that the studio and probably Mel Gibson made the right decision in sure. releasing this version. This version is just it's just more pal- more more palatable to a to a bigger audience. And I sound a little bit like a snob by saying I prefer the smaller version with the more ambiguous ending. But, like, I prefer the smaller version with the more ambiguous ending. Yeah. And that's just me. Yeah. So. Um, should we zero to 99 this? Do you know how we do this? I've heard a little bit of it. So we it's rank our movies favorite. from zero to 99. Uh, zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest, 50 being the the metric of, of whether you recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want you to give us your score in 99, mm-hmm. then your score before this podcast, and then your score after this podcast, you know, to see if the podcast swayed mm-hmm. you one way or the other. Would you like to go first, Kenny? Sure. I'm doing this based on the director's cut. Did, did you see it in 99 or had you not I've seen it? I've never seen this. Okay. Uh, Interesting. And I gave it a 58 after viewing it. Okay. Which is like, you know, 50 is the line of recommend or not sure. recommend. Like, mm-hmm. There's like it's good. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. It's good. Um after the podcast, 
I mean, I, there's nothing we said that makes me think it's worse. Uh, <laughs> nothing that we said made it better. I don't like staying where I, I don't like staying where I was because I, I I feel like that's lame and conversations are important. I do think this is a little better than I thought it was. I'm gonna go up to like a 62. Um, I also want to say though, anyone who's thinking about watching this should watch Point Blank because it will Fair. it will give you what this movie gives you like directly into your veins. <laughs> There's a great comics artist now deceased named Darwin Cook Uh who did a great book for DC Comics called New Frontier that contextualized like the golden age and and what that stuff – why it was great. He he captured that spirit and he started to do adaptations of the Parker books as these um, hardcover graphic novels. Mm Mm-hmm. They're probably if you're not going to read the books, uh-huh. which are the best. I'd like to read the books in real life. I think the I will. The easiest, the like the movie version of the books, the best possible is these graphic novels. Like cool. I want to read his books too. You've, quite easy, but you've the definitely books, got me on board. Which that. one would you read first? I, I will do probably, it in order. So Hunter's the first. I think Hunter. All right, cool. Uh, so I saw this in '99 in the theater. Um, I thought it was fine. I gave it. I'd give it a sixty. I thought mm-hmm. it was fine i didn't love it didn't hate it i was just sort of like okay that existed um had have never seen it since uh either version uh i am going to base my grade on the director's cut as well for what that's worth Mm -hmm. um before this podcast i liked it more than you i gave it a 72 Mm -hmm. um and after this podcast i bumped it down a little bit to a 70 um you know i think it's in its best possible form this is a, a a cool, you know, relatively small, clean, you know, hard-boiled, you know, noirish kind of thing. And I dig stuff like that. I want to make one more point about yeah. – I, I would have given the theatrical version below a 50. Yes. <laughs> and I think the reason – and I don't really know how I would have reacted now because I watched the theatrical version again a year ago mm-hmm. uh, when we thought we were going to do this, but we didn't. Um, and I remember thinking the violence against – women in that movie is really abhorrent and in this movie it felt like now the same way whatever this version it felt like that the movie was in on that sure right and that's kind of what i'm getting at which the idea of porter is not excused in this movie he doesn't win the day um he's not super smart he's just kind of going through things so we're not really meant to identify with him whereas in the theatrical version it felt a little, little bit like part of his roguish charms is that he beats women up and that i think was what kind of like took takes this movie that's essentially uh-huh. the same thing and like kind of 180 flipped it for me uh-huh. so that's i get that yeah i think that's what happened now again i haven't seen this other and i didn't watch it all, like very closely back then either but okay i do not him yes. beating up women didn't stick with me in the theatrical at the time. Like, I think he opens the door scene, into Deborah Kerr Unger. He, he that scene is taken out of that's it. it. The kitchen mm-hmm. scene, he doesn't beat her up in the kitchen in the theatrical right. version. Okay. They, he literally kicks the door open, and kicks her there. into the wall, but like, has a conversation seem, with her. It didn't seem like he was planning to kick her into the wall. Like, he was busting into the place. And yeah, she was standing there is probably how I excused it at the time. Or I don't, I don't really remember it particularly well. One way, I do remember that it's a it's a hard cut to like him carrying her into the bedroom, basically, mm-hmm. and cleaning so, her up and caring for her. Yeah, and trying to save her from herself. Ish, yes, yes, I mean, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, at the time, yes. I I dug it. I super dug it, and it threw me into the books. And I love those books. Like, yeah. I love that thing. Uh, 
So like 90s, you know, 90, 94, yeah. low A at the time. You okay. Know? Oh, wow. You um, really liked this. I really liked it. Okay. And I had no expectations. Okay. If a movie, like I walked if into a movie... the theater not knowing anything. And then I was like, I like this whole genre. I like this book. I like a crime yeah. story. You yeah. know? If a like, movie turns you on to the book series it's based yeah. on. Yeah. It's done. It's, that's it's, a, yeah. yeah. If it's not a 90, then I don't know what right. you're doing. You, you only got so much time. And then what is the other metric before this podcast? Before this podcast and but, after the podcast. But having watched it before this podcast. Like after you watch. Yes. Be, yes, right. exactly. So uh, for, like 40. Like I, 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 I would not recommend this movie. Uh, I liked really? it at the time. I'm not going to tell anyone to watch a Mel Gibson movie. Fuck him. Fuck him. Well, that's fair. Right? Yes. Uh, this movie was good. But now it's not the same world that we live in. Fuck him. Fuck Mel sure. Gibson all the way. Like, I love it. And part of, like, part of the appeal of coming on this podcast and dealing with this movie yeah. was going, I liked this movie. I'm a different guy. Yeah. Let's see what Well, the is. world's a different place. Yeah, the world's I mean, a different place yeah. and I get to be a different guy from it. And, I, mm-hmm. and, like, and as I said before, like the most interesting part of this, this rewatch was me, me liking a whole bunch of stuff around and every time he came on the screen going, no, I'm not in for you. I'm not in for this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's fair. Um, I, I mean, and so, and then talking about it, and I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've, I'm landing in that that aspect of who I am stronger. Fuck him more from having really? talked about it. Okay. Yeah. So where, where are you at 20. now? Twenty. <laughs> I love this. I love it. Right. That's I, important. That, that might be the from. We've never seen that before. But 90s oh, yeah. to For, 40 to 20. But Love that's it. And, and that's the 20 important. is only because everybody else in that movie is great, doing yes. great no, work I, I and really that. fun. I get that. It's, a, I was, it's important. It's important to include that. Inclu- all, Absolutely. All that matters is the way you feel when you're watching a movie, mm-hmm. what you think and what you feel. And yeah, it is a worse movie now yeah. because of that. Yep. There's no question about I that. I fully agree. And uh, I don't even like Jews. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the literally the perfect way to end. I was going to say, we're done. And done. Just what, like, do want, what are we doing next week? What do you week? want to do next week? Uh, next week, we're doing uh, Drive Me Crazy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I had to bring my kids into the studio. <laughs> full, disclosure. full disclosure, there are children here. It's the summer. It's great. It's great. We're, we're what are we going to do? We're the best we can. We're understaffed. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're doing great. So we got both kids in here. You want to say hi? Say hi real loud. <laughs> there you go. All right, two of two of my four kids are here. Yeah, um, um, we're doing drive me crazy. Uh, drive me crazy. The uh, the Rob Thomas script joint. Yes. joint sure. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we have uh, Ashley Lyle and Melissa Laura coming on for it. Ashley Lyle, TV writer, Melissa Laura, producer. If you remember our um, Ten Things I Hate About You episode, and I know you do because it's our least. Well, it's one of our most listened to yeah, and reviled. To, yeah, it's one of our most <laughs> at least well-regarded episodes. Um, Ashley makes a very strong case for Drive Me Crazy being better than 10 Things I Hate About You. And I'm not sure that we totally agree when everything is said and done. It's not a better movie. It's, it's not – yeah. But it's better than I thought it was. Yeah. I would, I would argue that it, it might be a better script that is not executed as well. I think the ten things I hate about you is is a is a better movie. I agree with you completely. Uh, better cast, uh, but drive not as good me, a script. Drive me crazy. Weirdly, could have been a classic. <laughs> it kind of could have been. Yeah, yeah. If it was, yeah. but but it's better. It's much better than it should be, given that it's Melissa Joan Hart and um, my Adrian old friend Grenier. Adrian Grenier. Vinny Chase. Vinny Chase. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, it gave birth to the uh, 
the Britney Spears song. Yeah, I don't. I mean, we talk about that a little bit um, in the episode, and it's it's kind of hard to say what kind of came first. I think the album came first. I think they retitled it "Drive Me Crazy." Yes, based on the song. The song yes, after yes, they yes. got the rights to that. But we yes. get into all we that get into on all that on the pod. It's great. It's um, a great episode. Ashley and Melissa are great as always. Um, yeah, and and no prominent anti-Semites in that. Yeah, very few. Very f- well. <laughs> There's none. I just said That's prominent. For- no prominent ones. <laughs> Who knows about the others? But yeah, it's yes. really hard to say. Um, uh, so yeah. So next week, drive me crazy. Uh, you're on. You're on Twitter. Right? Oh yeah, I'm all what, over. It. What's your What's your Twitter handle, guys? My Twitter. Ha- my name. Get this. You've heard it a couple of times before. My name is Ben Acker. My Twitter is B N A C K E R. So just no e. Right. There's another dude that has that. So and just he's cool. B N Acker. B N Acker. He forwards me some. If you tweet at me yeah. to him, he'll. Oh. But I'm having, yeah. Are you way bigger than him on Twitter? Yeah. So he has to afford you a lot of shit. I mean, people, oh, are, mostly, <laughs> yeah. people are mostly pretty good about uh, finding me when they want me. Sure. And he's very nice. About Where does that. he live? He li- I think he's in the uh, charter boat fisherman in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, he <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> he sounds fantastic. You should meet him. Charter his boats, people. When uh, I, it's, we're we're far enough in, you don't need to be. I love this. Story I other love ben this Anchor. podcast. Yeah. Ben, you were a great guest. Will you please come this back? For, I love I'm when – Right now. I, I wish we had you for your vision, Jack. Yeah, I really I, appreciate it too. I, I love to have really great guests when we do really stupid movies. So thank you so much for <laughs> – Thank you for being on here. Thank you. Fuck you. Thank you. Uh, you'll come back? You promise you'll come back? Yeah. Okay. I swear to God. Awesome. Uh, I'm at PMSGO on Instagram, Twitter. We are at Podcast Like 1999. Please rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening. Bye. Podcast Like It's 1999. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.